You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. Discussions of an adult nature, adult language, and spoilers for the films discussed are most likely. Still on board? Come on in. Enjoy your stay. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, welcome to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 116. I'm your host, Lee. I hope you don't screw like you type, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Spandex, it's a privilege, not a right harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, although I, I just found out that apparently my teenage years are officially grounds for uh, fairly well-done, straight-up nostalgia pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just uh, clicked on the uh, Netflix original series Everything Sucks, which is a sitcom set in September 1996. It speaks to me. It's just you know, it's <laughs> it's yeah. No, it was it was a moment. It was a moment. You know, it's basically Freaks and Geeks, but set 16 years later. So oh, yeah. you know, uh, I think I think we're going to be talking a lot of nostalgia here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think I think we've got a bit of that planned. Um, so it does kind of fit thematically into the episode. But I literally just started watching it. You know, my wife and I sat and watched it, and you know, we're, I'm just like face palming uh, <laughs> several points, just like, oh god, yeah, that was that moment in 1996. Yep. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we're uh, we're going to be checking out three films tonight. We're going to be looking at Short Circuit and its sequel, Short Circuit Two, so from '86 and '88, and we're going to be looking at Hackers from 1995. So we're sort of continuing our little uh, mostly in the '80s sci-fi series here. And Hackers, I would argue, is definitely sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I would. Uh, I, I like to think of this as the Fisher-Stevens trilogy. So. Yeah, uh, and, and the funny thing is that's sort of what it became. I, I wasn't aware of this, actually. It, it took me a few days to catch on that, oh, wait, Fisher-Stevens is in all of these, and that's probably why Daniel suggested these films. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Mm-hmm. Well, I th- I knew I wanted to do Short Circuit 1 and 2, and then I thought, well, as long as we're doing that, we might as well throw Hackers in as well. Yeah. Cover From what I understand, apparently there is quite a bit of interest in us covering Hackers, so we we will we shall see what people think of this episode. Yeah, we do have quite a few comments here. So uh, first I'll get to one that was on our YouTube page. It was for our Simple Plan episode, and this is from someone called Clarence Peterson, who says, a simple plan is an underappreciated masterpiece, which... I concur. Yeah, yep. I think I think it is uh, kind of is a little bit forgotten, uh, especially in the wake of Fargo and stuff like that, where I think that's the one where people mostly they kind of, oh, uh, crime film set during the winter time. It's either Fargo or fucking um, Ice Harvest. Uh, Ice Harvest. Yes, exactly. Um, our constant, well, constant retweeter and, and liker anyway. I don't know if he listens to any of these podcasts. Uh, CB False is. Amazing and honest reviews. Uh, I always thought Batteries Not Included was a weird movie. Didn't understand its premise. So here you go. Okay. I, I don't know, know what there is to not understand about its premise, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, alien robots come to Earth and help out people in a in a 
in a building. I can understand kind of not buying the premise, but to not understand the premise, that's I don't I don't quite get that. But hey, thanks for the comments. Always yeah, there. to each their own. Now we have quite a few comments. I put on uh, I put a thread out there for uh, our Facebook members, and of course, if you've not joined us on Facebook, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Single best way to get in touch with us. But I I put it on for for this episode and. We got a bunch of comments from uh, three uh, esteemed fellow podcasters. Uh, at least I hold them in great esteem anyway, because I love all their shows. Uh, so first we had Darren Wilson from the Psychosomatic Cast or the Psychosomatic Podcast, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, even he doesn't quite know, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he says, do you think a rollerblading lobbyist was involved with making hackers? I don't remember them being that prevalent. <laughs> They were pretty prevalent in 1995. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I think it's also a, a, we'll discuss this when we get to the film, but I think it's, it's definitely uh, tapping into a very specific subculture. Mm. Um, and, and rollerblading was pretty, you know, maybe 95, some of the crest had like kind of fallen by that, but like certainly 92, 93, it was like everywhere. Yeah. And then Darren Wilson continues with another comment, this time for the Short Circuit films. He says, is there a deeper unintended symbolism in Steve Gutenberg telling Johnny Five a kind of racist joke to see if he was alive like humans? (laughs) (laughs) I think the real subtlety there is that it's Steve Gutenberg telling the um, anti-Semitic joke. <laughs> yeah, that's it's kind of a weird dichotomy there. It's uh... yeah. <laughs> um, Court Psyops from Cinema Psyops. He says, "Is there a role that young Matthew Lillard isn't extremely punchable in?" Um, uh, I mean, hackers. I I quite like him in this, but um, I you know Matt Lillard is somebody who takes a lot of shit for stuff that isn't even. I mean, you know, he does the thing he's asked to do, and he's very like kind of entertaining at that. I mean, I like him in Scream. He's just sort mm-hmm. of he's just the nerdy guy. He's high energy. He's got this kind of thing, and I think people just. I mean, I get people finding him annoying. There's not really anything you can do about that. But you know, he he made a mint off of this. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, and he was the it guy for a while. Um, he just kind of never found that project that you know kind of made him into something bigger than he was. But I don't know, people who who shit unnecessarily on Matthew Lillard just kind of like, eh, you know, you can not like him, that's fine. But I don't know, kind I kind of I kind of like him, so. Kind of an easy target, really. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what really, really sucks? You know, uh, Nazis, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of cheese me off, you know, like it's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs says, ah, Hackers is my motherfucking jam. And this sprung a uh, lengthy little sort of thread here uh, between all three of these gentlemen, which it became, I believe, a little bit of a back and forth love fest here between some of them. If I'm reading it correctly anyway, Court Sibes says the film Hackers got him into computers as a kid. Uh, Duncan McLeish follows up by saying, Court PSYOPs got me into extreme amounts of jerking as a kid and also made me question my sexuality hard. Now, either he's replying to Court PSYOPs here and talking about hackers, or he's talking about Court PSYOPs. I don't know which one it is, because he kind of 
he linked the name and the Facebook. Yeah, I, I choose to believe he's coming on to Court Syops. That's my yeah. that's my guess. Because yeah. it seems to follow afterwards. Court Syops yeah. says, Duncan, mine was never in question. I answered the call of my ancestors and knew it was always any port in a storm. <laughs> um I can I can appreciate that. Uh I can appreciate both the metaphor and yeah. the uh sentiment. Yeah. Uh and Duncan McLeish follows up with one of those uh, do-it-yourself fucking pictures where I guess you can kind of put like a avatar of yourself in the picture. And it's the American Beauty image of the uh, roses falling away from the naked body. So apparently Dr. McLeish is, here's what you're looking at in uh, in your dreams, Court Psyops. And uh, Court Psyops falls up with a picture of Homer Simpson in a thong saying he's sexy and he knows it. Yep. Yeah, and Derek, there's there's no, there's nothing there's no better radio than describing gifts. <laughs> um, Darren Darren Wilson uh, follows up by saying 1995, the year a generation got the hots for Angelina Jolie, which I think is pretty true. Um, yeah, yeah. and then Court Sipes says, just like 2015 Court, only not. Well, you shouldn't be doubting yourself like that, Court. Yeah, I think I think all these men are incredibly sexy, and uh, I would have no issues with uh, you know engaging in some kind of relations with uh, any and all of them, uh, including yourself, there, Lee. I, I you know I I'd throw you a bone there. You know? <laughs> Great, I feel loved now. It's good stuff. Yeah, you should you should yeah right. uh, th- yeah. Thank you all for the comments. Uh, that was an amusing little thread. Usually we don't get anything that extensive on the Facebook page, so uh, that was fun. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, of course. You get to be the lucky ones who have your show promos played when we take our break uh, because you were so entertaining. So there you go. Um, <laughs> not that anyone listens to this podcast, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> you can all listen to each other's promo on this <laughs> on this podcast. Episode. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we can just move right on to uh, what we've watched in the last little while. I do have some things, but I'm going to save them for like the next episode. And sure. uh, I know you have at least one thing there, Daniel. So I'll throw over to you. Yeah, I just had one I wanted to mention. I have been uh, watching a couple of the things, but, you know, I don't know. It's not not always worth, like, chatting about them. Um, but I finally got to see Get Out. And, wow, like, that's a really phenomenal film. Um, yeah. One of the best films of its kind I've ever seen. Um, you know, possibly the most uncomfortable I've ever felt watching yeah. a movie. You know, um, and not, I mean, you know, like I kind of heard people say that and it's like, oh, because it's sort of, quote unquote, about race with capital letters, right? No, it's just the way the fucking film is put together. It mm-hmm. is creepy as fuck. You know, some of the, some of the message, you know, some of the way that the plot is constructed and, you know, kind of towards the end, like some of what I think it might have been trying to say gets undercut by some of the you know, sort of the, the, the structural issues. And I don't really want to get into detail on that for people who haven't seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't think the film is perfect, but it's very, very, very good. Jordan Peele, he is immediately like on the top of my list of interesting filmmakers. And I hope he has a very long and fruitful career. Yeah. Um, and that's, if you haven't seen Get Out, I don't, I mean, you know, my recommendation isn't going to make you see it necessarily, but, you should definitely fucking see this film. Yeah, totally agree. I love that film. I I, I can I can definitely see where you, you'd say there 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 might be some little bit of distraction in the way some of the plot is constructed. I mean there there is a kind of a um and I don't think this is really spoiling anything. There's there's kind of a slightly hackneyed sci-fi sort of plot 
element to it. Yeah, bit. I mean, I I knew the I knew the twist. I mean, I knew that so that the ending, you know, which isn't really a twist as much as it's sort of like, you know, I knew the underlying thing going in because I had already kind of like just been exposed to it through culture. My wife didn't know it at all, you know, and so she was just like right there on the edge of her seat. And I, I mean, I was as well, but like because I kind of knew what was what the, you know, kind of what was really going on, I was able to kind of like keep a slight bit of distance and sort of, you yeah. know, kind of process it both as you know just kind of effective drama but also uh you know kind of knowing what the underlying thing was going on and i i mean even at that it was it was really like a real gut punch when you kind of get to the when you kind of get to kind of kind of what's really going on um for me it's not so much like that that is done as much as some of these sort of metaphorical resonance about the the sort of racial conflict that's kind of going on through the film in general like it doesn't make sense that you know the dad is like <laughs> I would have voted for Obama a third time, best president of my lifetime, you know, sort of stuff. You know, that's it. Kind of doesn't make you know, kind of character sense at a certain point. Um, yeah. Once you kind of realize where things go, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It sort of, I don't know. I I'm really trying to dance around actually, like talking about this film. Yeah. So I think maybe we just need to cover it at some point. Yeah, you know, if you're interested in it, and kind of get into the weeds on it, or maybe I'll just start writing about it. I don't know. Who knows? But I think uh, it's a it's a really phenomenal film, and you should definitely check it out. Yeah, so. it's it's definitely one where you should watch it a couple times too, because some of those performances they really start to like hit home when you when you discover everything that's going on, and you go back and watch those performances early on in the film. It's like, oh, I see why he's doing that. I see why he's doing this. It's it's pretty goddamn good. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so I did just want to uh, call that out just because I did finally get to see that. And um, I agree with you. It will almost certainly be on my best of the year this year. Awesome. Awesome. I can't uh, imagine it not going. If it's not on my best of the year at the end of the year, we've had a fucking amazing we've year. We've had a good Yeah, we had a pretty good year, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a little quick break. We're going to play some promos. Uh, you already know what's coming. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of music, and we'll be back with Short Circuit and Short Circuit 2. You ungodly warlock. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho-Semantic Ast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. 
I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie to jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms. To see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. You ungodly warlock.
Okay, we're back, and we're looking at Short Circuit from 1986 and Short Circuit 2 from 1988. It's the ultimate soldier. It doesn't get happy. It doesn't get sad. It doesn't laugh at your jokes. It is quite simply Jim. the most sophisticated robot on Earth. At Nova Robotics, the future is in good hands. You're doing real good. Just keep working on those last two bars. Thanks to Dr. Newton Crosby. Originally, I designed it as a marital aid. But artificial intelligence has gotten too smart. No. It's malfunctioning. It might not do anything. But it could decide to blow away anything that moves, couldn't it? Because $11 million worth of robot just hit the road. Wow! Number five is alive. Welcome to my planet. You just have to find number five, get some answers. Why don't you come on in my house? And it's got a lot of living to do. Whatever it takes to put that stupid contraption out of commission, that's what you do. Me input. Haven't had enough of this stuff. More input. More input. And they can seem quite lifelike, but they are still machines. Number five is alive. Nice software. How it happens, who knows, but it has happened. A new comedy adventure from John Badham, the director of War Games. They're gonna be after you. We gotta get out of here now. Keep alive! Ali Sheedy, Steve Gutenberg, and number five. Beautiful. Short Circuit. I am alive. Some say he's nuts. To the moon, Alice! Some say he's bolts. Muchas gracias. But everyone agrees he's America's most electric leading man. Mercy and home! He's... The all-new Johnny Five. Just look at these items. Increased memory, 500 megabytes online. I come with a utility pack. Dozens of gadgets for outdoor living. Lots of green pea stickers and even my own Nike swoosh. Now he's back and haywired for laughs in his newest motion picture adventure, Short Circuit 2. Winners all the time. Keep your eye on the red card. Red card. Get away with me. Can't you bother me? So keep your eye on the current thing this December. Short Circuit 2. This December on video cassette. And I'll just go really quickly over here with some credits for both of them. Uh... First one was directed by John Badham and written by S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock, and Jay Tarsus. It's starring Tim Blaney as Johnny Five. Why did her name? Ali Sheedy, isn't it? It's Ali Sheedy. Yeah, as Stephanie Speck. I, I must have cut and pasted her name and deleted it for some reason. Uh, Steve Gutenberg as Newton Crosby. Fisher Stevens as Ben. And I'm going to go look at his name in the second yeah, one. They, they changed his name for the second one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, as... Uh, Jarvi, uh, that's a lot easier to pronounce than the. Yeah, I think uh, it's Javardi or something like that Javardi, for the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, um, no, yeah, but Tuya apparently, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay, fuck. Um, yeah, Austin Pendleton is Doctor Howard. <laughs> you know, horrible Indian, you know, South Asian stereotype. That's 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 what that's well, what his last name should be. That's, the the weird thing is that they make you know the, he's he's this brown face uh, Indian character played by a white dude. But instead of making – and they make him totally stereotypical, but instead of making his name like Deepak Chopra or something that's easy to pronounce that sounds more typical, they, they go with this. Uh, um, it's, the, it's the Apu syndrome. That's that's really what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Austin Pendleton as Dr. Howard Mar- Mariner. Uh, G.W. Bailey as Captain Schroeder. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, Brian Mac- McNamara is Frank. Short Circuit 2, it's directed by Kenneth Johnson. The writers are Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson again. And uh, again, Tom Blaney as Johnny Five. Fisher Stevens as Ben. Michael McKean as Fred Ritter. Cynthia Gibb as Sandy Banatoni. Jack Weston as Oscar Baldwin. David Hemblin as Jones. Don Lake as Maniac Mike. Ali Sheedy comes back for a brief voice cameo. And Gary Parks as the priest. So uh, I'll just throw to you, Daniel. I'm I'm kind of assuming here that your story of these are almost exactly the same as mine, uh, that you just saw these as like a teenager and I, I saw them as a kid. I mean, they were, I was, oh, yeah. you know, I was, you know, six when the first one came out, I was eight when the second came out. I had already seen the first one by the time the second one came out. Cause I remember seeing the ads and just like, Oh my God, you know, so mm-hmm. I was, you know, like so many things as, as we're kind of talking about 80 stuff, you know, we got HBO in 1987 or early 88. And so like anything that was sort of playing on HBO at that time, just got ingrained into my brain. Right. And this was definitely one of those, uh, one of those films or both of these, uh, I am embarrassed by my like, degree of love for these films as a child. <laughs> um, and for years, I've kind of avoided revisiting them. Uh, and, and by years, I mean over 20, possibly. <laughs> not Probably quite the same. But certainly since my kind of early teenage years, I have not uh, revisited them. Uh, mostly because I was assuming that these were absolute shit. Pleasantly surprised to come back, particularly for the mm-hmm. first one. The first one is kind of uh, the answer to the question of, it's 1986 and we want to make a family-friendly film about the military-industrial complex. Yeah. How do we do it? In 1986, you could do that. It's kind of a fascinating thing. It works pretty well. It's got a couple of really nice... It's got several really nice performances. I mean, it, it really mm-hmm. is you know, kind of more than just let's watch the robot do cute things. It does have quite a bit of that, but um, I thought it was even less, I mean, you know, kind of Batters Unincluded went like straight up kiddified with this stuff, you know, and kind of had extended sequences of just animation with the robots. Whereas Short Circuits, it feels like it's a little bit more, they're kind of building a character out of the thing. Right. I mean, the the animatronic, I mean, the the puppet, like the, the actual like robot is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's pretty seamlessly integrated in the stuff. The work that went into making that thing do the things that it does is they, really kind of the, the pleasure of particularly yeah. the first film. Um, really both of these films, like it's, it's pretty amazing about that. Um, they so. used every, every trick in the book to get these effects off too. like every, every, basically every basic practical kind of cheat that they could think of to, yep. to get this going. And they did it, which is pretty amazing. Well, you've got to love, I mean, basically the way you kind of construct this sort of thing is you kind of design the the prop and then you kind of figure out what the prop can do. And then you sort of build sequences around that, you know, mm-hmm. and on that level, I mean, this thing, it just, it, it flows really well. I mean, it's really impressive. I understand exactly why, you know, seven or eight year old Daniel was just mesmerized by yeah. <laughs> both of these films. The sequel doesn't work doesn't work as well. There's an, it, you know, you lost your two most charming actors cause uh, Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy don't come back for the sequel. Both of whom I think are really, really good in the first one. Yep. Um, you kind of make Fisher Stevens, our main character. He gave him kind of a sleazy pal played by Michael McKean, which is the yep. first time I ever saw Michael McKean in anything was this movie. Yeah, so when I kind of saw him on SNL later, it's like, Oh wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
it's it's uh it's Fred from uh from Short Circuit too. I like this one okay. It's still it's still kind of doing the thing. It's got this jewel heist plot that doesn't yeah. make any sense and kind of a finale that it definitely pushes the uh the corny comedy just a little bit further than uh it can it can quite go. But overall I think both of these are worth revisiting and again I mean I think it is kind of the construction of the thing and the uh just sort of the um the prop and just Sort of the stuff that's in it. Um, also, the second I found can you know rewatching it again, I found it surprisingly heartfelt in the way that it sort of deals with sort of the, the Johnny Five's like kind of essential question of his you know kind of living status and you know the mm-hmm. sort of uh, feeling alienated. And that's something that I definitely I know that's what I responded to so strongly when I was a kid seeing it. Um, and I was surprised at how much of that is in the film and how well it still was able to sort of work on me, even though. Uh, you know, I'm now a functional adult with the ability to like process my emotions and not through the uh, the guise of a uh, of a of an insectoid uh, like looking robot. But overall, I'm really happy to revisit these, but I probably won't be revisiting them again anytime soon. But yeah, uh, sorry, extended. Yeah. Just kind of giving overall thoughts on the whole. That was great. Yeah, I owned the first one on VHS, and uh, mm-hmm. I had it. For the longest time, actually, I might still have it. Honestly, I, uh, if, we if had I, recorded like, both of them off of HBO, so I I had these on like almost a constant loop as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I want to say that I saw the second one in theaters, but I can't confirm that. I saw a lot of stuff in theaters right around the time where my memory is just totally fucking cloudy from yeah. you know, so you know, early teens and stuff like that. To you know, it's just like uh, maybe I saw it. I I, I know I saw. Jurassic Park. I saw the fourth Jaws movie. Um, (laughs) I I do know some that I did see in the theater, but uh, this one I'm a little hazy on. I surprisingly, and I shouldn't be too surprised because I think the first one's a genuine, really well done movie. It is dumbed down into a kid's movie on purpose, although apparently the original script was much more serious and much more, um, it, it dug a lot deeper into Johnny Five discovering that he's sentient and he's a person, you know, that he's actually alive. I think you know? it seems like the original script seems to be a little more Starman-y or, you know, something. Right. Like that. It seems right. like it, it kind of delves into a little bit more of that. It, it, it becomes less of like, now let's do the goofy, uh, let's make them into Three Stooges characters and yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's it's got that it's got that sort of basic E.T. structure plot that was used for so many movies in the, in the mm-hmm. 80s, you know, where, and I mean, even Johnny Five kind of looks like fucking E.T. with the extended yeah. head shape and stuff, right? Um, yeah, I, I never, like, put that together because E.T. is not a giant part of my childhood for whatever reason. Yeah, it just wasn't when I rewatched a bunch. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. It's very, you know, <laughs> let's, do, let's do Metal E.T. That's kind of what the design yeah, is. kind of so. is. Kind of is. And I mean, uh, and I'll admit this, uh, First movie I ever saw it in a drive-in was E.T. Uh, oh, yeah, right yeah. yeah, and uh, and I cried like a little bitch because I was just a little kid. And uh, oh, yeah. oh no, E.T. Don't leave E.T. And yeah, it was really sad. There's nothing. There's you know. There's no. There's no shame in yeah. like, well, I shame. movies today. You know, come yeah. on. You know. Yeah, um, but man, this honestly, I like this way better than E.T. Um, I, yeah. I, I like how I like I like how Johnny Five develops. I like how he's. It's very subtle too. Like there's uh, 
there's a, a lot of nuance in this that I, you know, I wouldn't have picked now, are you up. Are talking about the out. first one or both first of them one. together? Okay, just the first uh, one. Okay. First one for the most part. Uh, there, there's yeah, a little yeah. bit of the second one too, but but the first one. The second one, one he kind of becomes like a joke machine, you know? Like yeah. Sort of, you know, so, so yeah, no. But, but I agree on the first one. He really becomes like a real character. Yeah, yeah that's, the th- that's the thing. Like there's, there's actual real attention to detail here and character building for Johnny Five in the first film. And the the little subtle things like how he first he refers him to himself in the third person, but then he starts referring to himself as himself, you know, in yeah. like the first person, you know, it's very subtle little details here that sort of build. I think a lot of jokes actually land really well in the first one, especially. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised at the humor in it. And some of the humor is kind of raunchy as well. It's very oh, subtle yeah. thrown in, but it's kind of raunchy. I, I think uh, is, I mean, incredible. finding Stephanie in the bath is enough, you know, like, yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and as uh, incredibly embarrassing uh, as Fisher Stevens in brown face is, especially especially today looking back at it oh, yeah, i mean yeah. it, it's not it's not breakfast at tiffany's but it's somewhere it's not, be- quite, it's not quite to that level but it's it's close yeah, it, it, it's it's sort of in between yeah. breakfast at tiffany's and christopher lee as fu manchu it's somewhere in the middle there but for for what it's worth though i mean fish stevens gives a great performance and a lot of his jokes land pretty well like yeah. the, the the humor surrounding his character is pretty good like he makes a good sort of funny sidekick that just has all these all these lines that almost sound like they're improvised asides, but you know they're they're definitely not. They're 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 obviously written, but they, well, and he has to carry. He has to carry the sequel. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he's kind of the lead of this. I mean, really, they make Johnny Five the the lead of the sequel. Yeah. But like certainly in terms of kind of our human cast, I mean, he's kind of the one returning cast member, other than like the people doing the robot. Even the director didn't come back. I mean, it's kind of like, well, we got Fisher Stevens. You know, he he agreed to do it, and um, I mean, I think he's. I mean. I don't, I don't blame the actors. Like he's, he's an actor. He's doing a job, you know, and we're a lot more sensitive to this stuff now than we were in, you know, 1988. And even then we still have, there's some really disgusting stuff that that passes under the radar even now. So, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, I'm not giving the thing a pass for that, but uh, I mean, because it is a terribly racist caricature, but you know, it's no more so than a poo from the Simpsons and that yeah. character who's been on the air for, you know, 30 years. Very yeah. Cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I do love how, uh, when, when I think about it now, like iconic eighties characters that we all sort mm-hmm. of have like nostalgia for, when you look at Johnny five, he's almost the ultimate embodiment of sort of our generation's nostalgia with just all the pop culture references he makes because yeah. ev- everything he sucks in is eighties TV for his input. Yeah. And like that's all that we fucking talk about these days now is like everything we remember watching as kids in the eighties and shit in yeah, our generation, yeah. right? So he, he he's kind of well, and he us- does the thing. He does the thing that like uh, Daryl Hannah and Splash does of like I watch TV for a day and now I like to have all these references of right. you know, stuff. You know, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? But he's also like he's doing like you know old gangster movies because that's what was airing on tv you know at the time you know so like daytime tv he's like flipping channels and running across like an old cagney performance and i mean and it's such a uh it's such a fucking trope of the 80s too of these interesting cute non-human characters picking up pop culture and then regurgitating it verbally you know in in some Mm -hmm. way and also just human characters doing it too i mean although Home Alone is 1990. Still, 
the main character in Home Alone, he he watches a gangster movie and then right. like uses references that later, right? And Gizmo, well, there is there is the sense that you know, like the the whole point is the filmmakers are hearkening back. The guy making this film is you know the people writing it are probably like thirty five or something, you know, mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty five. So they're kind of looking back to like when they were kids, like watching TV in 1960 or whatever. Yeah, they they like, saw Scarface, you know. Right, like, exactly. Like the, I mean, obviously the original. The original, Scarface yeah, not the shitty but, yeah. Al Pacino version. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, another film we have to cover at some point is. Yeah, because uh, because I just want to talk that film down. By the way, <laughs> yeah. well, we can do both. I would love to do both. Um, yeah, that would be something. Okay. I've actually not seen the Pacino version. I've seen the original. I've not actually seen the Pacino version. But and, uh, uh, and I, I say talk down. By the way, just spoilers. Uh, not because I hate the film, just because I hate how popular that film is with people yeah. for the wrong reasons, I think. But, yeah. Well, uh, that's a total other discussion. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, well, we'll have to, that, that's a, that's a much more detailed uh, discussion than we're going to get into right now, but I, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you on uh, particularly short circuit one. I think it's again, kind of a surprisingly intricate. I really love Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy in this. I mean, Steve Gutenberg kind of gets to become a joke. Like mm-hmm. another Simpsons reference, but you know, <laughs> Steve Gutenberg, you know, is literally, such sort of the famously, how did this guy become a star actor that yeah. there's a gag in one of the classic songs from The Simpsons where yes. you know, the Illuminati made Steve Gutenberg a star. A star. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Who holds down the electric car? Who made Steve Gutenberg a star? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but I, you watch him in this and he's, I mean, he's charming as shit. Like he's he's uh, he's sort of playing against type too, because usually he plays the wacky outsider who's really charming and shit. Right, you know, right. well here he's playing the socially inept outsider, and so is Ali Sheedy. By the way, they're both right. socially inept. You know, and so it's... <laughs> Ali Sheedy. I mean, watching this and you're gonna go like, yeah, Daniel watched this a whole lot as a kid, and there's yeah. a very particular, uh, you know, sort of. Ali Sheedy affinity that just sort of became, you know, so much of my libido and interest just is yeah, no, very I, obviously watching it now. I'm like, holy God, was Ali Sheedy like the person I wanted to just marry for life, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I love everything about that character. I love mm-hmm. everything about this character. And Ali Sheedy is so good. She is so good. Yeah. She's, she's just not like given a ton to do. No, but I mean, but she, she's, I mean, arguably the lead here, right? You know, we spend mm-hmm. probably more more lines with her than any other individual character. You know, yeah, she and she's she's the sort of she's sort of a displaced hippie kind of like she's yeah, well, a hippie she's, out of time. She and she's like kind of referring to like it's the Reagan era, and so it's all about nuclear proliferation, and you know, kind of like save the rainforest. And she's an animal yeah, lover, and she's got she's got animals a, all around, and she's yeah, you know, she's got a dick bag boyfriend. Oh yeah. <laughs> who totally gets his comeuppance in the film. And it's uh, mm-hmm. one of the best scenes in the film. You know, he's, yep. he's trying to like take her dog and give it to like, you know, yeah, what a fucking asshole. Like, like, God, geez. what a dickhead that guy is. Um, I'm glad you got lazed by number fives. Yeah. Giant military laser. If anybody uh, deserves it, it's you. Yeah. I wouldn't, have, I honestly wouldn't have felt bad if this, like this turned full, full on horror and Johnny five just fucking <laughs> murdered him. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I, because I could, <laughs> Because the, there's enough serious stuff in this movie where you could actually see it going that way at some point, you know? <laughs> Especially concerning how all the other robots fucking act, where they just go into right. murder mode, you know? Um, and and that, that also just a testament to 
uh, how expressive these robots are. I mean, they use several different heads for Johnny Five to get the mm-hmm. expressions right. But the the idea behind the design on the robot with the the, the eyelash shade thingies that they yeah. use to give expressions and stuff, it fucking it works. Like it just pays off in spades uh, the way they use that. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's an amazingly expressive model. It's a, it, I think the real testament to this is I buy number five as a character. You know, again, as a kid, I bought this completely. Like I knew oh, it was yes, obviously so. not a real robot, right? You know, yeah. but I bought number five as a character in this film mm-hmm. and not thinking about, you know, oh, there's like a team of puppeteers who are doing the, you know, who are doing this work. It, I, it's seamless. And even rewatching it as an adult, I mean, it's, yeah, it just works. I can admire these sort of technical work when he's like picking up the wrench and like, you know, dropping it on his power button and that sort of thing and like changing yeah. out the arm. And you can kind of see like, oh, like admire the technique being done here. But at the same time, number five never, various similitude has never dropped for me, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the first film. The second film, I mean, it kind of it pushes it just slightly over the yeah. edge. Um, it's dumbed down quite a bit, and so without the writing and without the, but even then, that's not the prop. The prop works. It's just it's it's more manipulative, and it's and it's kind of playing a different game, and so um, it's a little bit harder to kind of feel emotionally invested. But certainly, the first film. I mean, the first film is legitimately good. I yeah, you know I is. you could you know racism of the joke and of the. Uh, <laughs> the portrayal of Ben aside, I think you could uh, you could absolutely show this to people today. Like, I mean, I, I could see kids today kind of falling in love with. with oh yeah, five, it, it, I mean, you know, it, it is it is a legit good family kids movie. Yeah. You know, once you get past a couple things, but um, I also man, something I picked up also. Fuck the the shameless product placement, especially with Johnny Five just reciting <laughs> logos and shit like yeah. that. It's it's almost at Mac and Me levels for <laughs> I wonder though, like, did they actually get promotional, you know, kind of credit for that? Because like in eighty six it wasn't nearly if it happened today, you'd go, Well of course like Mountain Dew gave them the right to, you know, right. like and certainly they had to kind of clear it. But I mean I Product placement wasn't where it is today in 1986. So I do wonder if they're just kind of like repeating the the Dr. Pepper line is not, you know, Dr. Pepper like paid for promotional (laughs) placement as much as it is like, would you like to be a pepper too is the, you know, sort of classic thing that people are like seeing on ads in 1986. And number Uh, five becomes, I mean, the thing that works about him as a character is he is just like this giant kid with a laser, right? You uh know? And he does the thing that kids do, which is, you know, just watch TV all day and, like, yeah. repeat ads. So, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly why he resonates with a whole generation that watched this film and still remembers it fondly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no surprise there. As far as part two goes, I got to say, I think Cynthia Gibb is really good in that. And she's, like, a good – she's basically a good replacement for Ali Sheedy because she's kind of the same yeah. character, you know? Uh-huh. Same sort of um, independent spirit, quirky female lead she, kind she, of. She she defines flibberty gibbet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, she's less the kind of Earth Mother like caring, you know, thing that Ali Sheedy was, and she's a little bit more like she's got the corporate job, and she's just kind of like but, she's into kind of the quirky toys, and she's she's doing yeah, her she's, thing. She's still um, the corporate. She's still the outsider in the corporate system. You know, right. Like, right. Yeah, she's also like the only woman we see in the entire film. Yeah, really. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, Fisher Stevens in the sequel, um, no less racist, but 
it's weird if anything, if anything, it's stepped up a it's stepped up a notch, I think. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. The weird thing is they kind of they kinda of, I don't know if you picked up on this, they kinda of retconned his background. Oh yeah, because he's supposed to be like, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh or whatever. You know, right. In the first and here one. he's here they're kind of playing him playing him off as uh, another eighties trope as as the, the fish out of water character. They do it both with Fisher Stevens and they do it with Johnny Five, of course, in the big right. city, right? So it's almost like Star Trek Four when Kirk and Spock are walking around the 20th century city or something like that. It's kind of that same idea of, of comedy, you know. Uh, but Fisher Stevens is the fish out of water immigrant who's looking for the American dream now. Right. And it, when it was when, like you, you are you are already like a top notch robotics engineer working for like right. one of the most brilliant men in the world. There's no way that uh, Newton Crosby and Ben could not have you know gotten some venture capital to like. <laughs> make you know all the toy robots they wanted it's right you know so the only reading is like that there was some fight between like crosby and ben and he kind of got like kicked in so he's like fine i'm gonna go to the city and do no the the backstory makes no sense on this and, yeah um, you know, it's, it, it's it's like the weekend of bernie's two of the short circuits yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is just the weirdest thing to say. But uh, also, I, I, I kind of <laughs> the weekend at Bernie. I love that that's the go-to reference for the it's... short circuit franchise, which exists in two films. So yeah, it's, it's just like... exactly. It's it's just you know, it's like weekend at Bernie's two. That's exactly like short circuit two. It's the slightly lesser but still kind of entertaining sequel that kind of makes no sense and shouldn't have happened. Yeah. <laughs> um. I also got to mention uh, fucking watching the second one, even though I don't live in Toronto. Like this is one of the most <laughs> it's, egregious. It's, it's one so of the more obviously egregious. not New York. Yeah, it, it's one of the most egregious fucking things because right down to um, landmarks and stuff that I just recognize as being Canadian. Like mm-hmm. I, at one point you can see the CN Tower and uh, for a couple seconds in the shot, uh, fucking Michael McKean's character's drinking Labatt beer, which is yep. <laughs> when Johnny Five is like digging underneath and you see like the three cans of Labatt rattling. Yeah. It's like, oh wait, <laughs> this was clearly filmed in New York City. Obviously, uh, I also yeah, I also kind of like how this film kind of predicts Home Alone because there, there's a like a brief sequence where Johnny Five's fighting the uh, the the thieves setting traps for them and stuff like that is this is fucking home alone before home alone showed up two years later yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they even have uh fucking cyrano de bergiac uh oh yeah yeah of course uh roxanne was a year before this so yes. you know roxanne another film that i deeply loved as a as a kid and uh i'd actually really like to revisit that one at some point um, it doesn't really fit into the sci-fi kind of bit but, yeah um no i yeah, we could put um, that on the fucking Docket. Put that on the master list. We'll get to it in three or four years. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, uh, I just want to say about the second film, uh, fuck the idea of a robot saying, so help me God, in a, in a Pledge of Allegiance. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is that shit? <laughs> like that, I'm endowed by my creator. Yeah. God. <laughs> yes. Like, there, actually, there was a surprising amount of, like, Jesus Christ mentions and references. Yeah, in the yeah. Second yeah. Film, right? <laughs> Yeah, Michael McKean goes like Christ, and you know Johnny Five goes Christ. Born one AD, one to thirty three AD. Yes, <laughs> like, dude, come on. No, like, I guess it's just the eighties, and it's a given that everyone says the Pledge of Allegiance because yeah, you know, Ronald Reagan. But you know, there's definitely an element of that, and I don't know, it just it feels like 
I mean, it kind of feels first drafty, some of the jokes. Right. Like it, it just kind of, you know, in the sequence when he's spelling the, the robbers for the first time, and he's, you know, got the, like, he's spinning them around and just kind of hear, like, Johnny Five's voice sort of doing little catchphrases, you know? Yeah, as yeah. A, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a hint of, um, <laughs> there's a Patton Oswalt routine. Where he talks about how he was hired. I, would, to be a I was doctor. thinking the same. He was hired thing. to be a, He was hired to be like a script doctor for this animated film, but they'd already like made all the animation, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't afford to like throw in new characters or like do. But the, what they wanted was: can you find clever things to say that characters who are off screen can yell yeah. on the screen? Uh, and, my uh, bottom uh, fell into some butterscotch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the things this, this character movie. never ever would have said ever it's like yeah, yeah. a yeah. whole lot of this movie feels like that personified yeah, exactly um, <laughs> but lately i've been doing punch-up on all these computer animated movies all the you know like over the hedge and shit like that and all those movies what they don't tell you is those movies are 85 percent completed they're done so when you come in and go well I would lose that scene. I would move that. They go, well, we spent $120 million on this. We're not changing any of this. Then you go, well, I'm, what do you want me to do exactly? And they say, we need you to think up funny off-screen jokes that people that aren't on screen can yell over the unfunny, uninteresting action to make it a comedy. I didn't know you could make a comedy that way. I didn't know you could take depressing, shitty footage and have people just yell jokes over it. Like, can you take Super 8 footage of a kid's birthday party? He's like eight years old. None of the other kids showed up. He's all alone in the kitchen with his little cake and his little hat to the side, crying. You're like, oh my God, this is awful. Then you have a voice off screen going, I just fell onto my bottom into some butterscotch. And you go, wow, a guy that I can't see, nor will I ever see just fell into some butterscotch and is talking out loud about it the way nobody does. Like, can you take Auschwitz footage and have, like, I haven't seen this many ribs since I was at Tony Roma's waggity schmackity do Or just show the World Trade Center collapsing and eighth floor, men's shoes, seventh floor, lingerie, waggity schmackity do So, uh, and that's what I mean by this dumbed down. I mean, there are some, I mean, again, like kind of Johnny Five's like search for meaning, you know, and search mm-hmm. for his you know sort of personal identity and the idea that he becomes an American citizen. I mean, honestly, there's, there's a, there's a real, um, there's you know, resonance to be had there. there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, about, you know, who gets to be an American and, you know, like, you know, you know, that's certainly not politically relevant in 2018. 30 years later, if you think we've regressed on this, on this issue, you know, but I do. Uh, so, so there is kind of a beating heart to this. I mean, there is kind of something going on, but overall, I think the film doesn't, uh, I mean, it doesn't work in the same way the first one does. You know what the biggest problem? Yeah. You know what the biggest problem is the second film is it's too fucking long. Like, oh, it there, is. It there's, is. there's 30 minutes. They legit could have cut out of that. It is. Uh, it's it's almost two hours. Ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a romantic subplot. I mean, and I, I mean, I love Cynthia Gibbs. Cynthia Gibbs is great in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that I don't have any. I actually kind of like the um, the relationship that she and Ben kind of develop, and I kind of love the like. I always remember like the um, <laughs> the sequence where they're like uh, they play the musical tones on the calculator. Mm-hmm. That's a really clever little sequence. Yeah. Um, it makes no sense that like not only do they know the exact you know what they can like you know, tell her through songs exactly yeah. how to get to the place where they go. But it's a clever little sequence. It kind of works. It's the sort of thing that I totally buy that this robotics engineer guy would just kind of be able to do mm-hmm. with stuff in his pocket, you know? So that bit works for me. Again, big chunks of this work for me, but I think the, the movie as a whole doesn't, you know? It's almost like kind of Johnny Five is in one movie kind of doing the sort of goofy, <laughs> let's just quote uh, commercials at people. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a kind of a different about this sort of like nerdy toy designer who used to be a robotics engineer kind of falling in love with this like marketing person, you know? Yeah. I mean, and then honestly, jewel thieves show up. Yeah. There's the two plots together. Because there, there's, there's way too much, thing. Plot. Yeah. way too much plot in that film. And I, I think that's the biggest problem. Like honestly, the Fisher Stevens, uh, Cynthia Gibb story could have just been its own movie. It would have mm-hmm. been much more interesting. Johnny Five is just in there as a gimmick more than anything else. And you, yep. you kind of see this as much as I love Gremlins too. Gizmo is just a gimmick in that film. He, oh, he's, yeah, yeah. he's doing the exact same thing Johnny Five is doing in this film. Uh, where Especially the part where fucking Gizmo copies Rambo and, you know, puts the headband on and makes it. Was, it was kind of, the thing is like, it's, it's, it's a little bit unfair to kind of judge it by 2018 standards just because yeah. in 1988, the idea of sort of doing pop culture references is sort of like a source for clever comedy mm-hmm. was still fairly new. Like right. the idea of kind of having these sort of pop culture aware characters and that kind of becomes sort of the like the 90s indie aesthetic, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, you know, Tarantino and Kevin Smith and, you know, Robert Rodriguez and so many, you yeah, know, they just sort yeah. of like use that idea and kind of perfect it. But this is before all that. So it is, it is kind of, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. A lot of it is kind of cheesy and stupid, but at the same time, this was early enough that it does kind of feel like, eh, you know, it worked a lot better in 88 than it does now. And it worked a lot better on me when I was eight or nine years old than it. Yeah. Uh, today. I, I, I like both of these. So, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I definitely actually, I I'd say I legit love the first one. I think it's really well done. I think the whole concept yeah. behind it, everything is great. I think the second one just, you know, it just falls short because it suffers from sequelitis more than anything else. Yeah. It's just, I think the second, I, because as a kid, I loved the second one way more than the first one. And I think that like, I am having a little bit of a, I'm just embarrassed about the second film because it's <laughs> the stuff that's really bad in it is really, really bad. Yeah. You know? And kind of the stuff that works is not enough to kind of get me over that just sort of personal cringe factor. So I, I, I probably would agree with you on the, you know, they're both, they're both probably worth watching, especially if you didn't grow up with them, you know, it might be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's an idle watch. Um, but the first one I think is legitimately quite good yeah. for the kind of movie it is. So. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, get to a little bit of uh, trivia here. Uh, for the first film, $1.4 million of the $15 million budget was uh, spent on the creation of the robot. Yep. Which so like 10% too- of their budget. 10% of their budget is just on, you know, the prop that has to work or else yeah. the movie is not going to work. Uh, and it, it, again, that's a completely reasonable, it's all on screen kind of kind of thing. If you watch this movie and kind of start adding up all the stuff they had to pay for, it's not much. Like, yeah. this is a cheap movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, it weighed 250 pounds. 
Uh, if, if you notice, the sound of the laser fire is the exact same sound effect as the Ghostbusters proton packs powering Ooh. up. I'll have to and go it, back and re-listen to that. I, I, I thought that would be a, I thought that would be a good one for you, considering you just did Ghostbusters on. Uh, I, Ron I did. I, I recorded consider the Reagan. A, consider the Reagan. So yeah. you know, I have two similarly named podcasts, uh, podcast threads at least, and um, yeah. you know. I'll get to that at the end. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, speaking on uh, Fisher Stevens' portrayal here, there, apparently there was major confusion occurring in India among fans when this movie was released because many people had seen the film thought that Fisher Stevens uh, was actually Bollywood actor Javid Jaffery. <laughs> this was due to Javid being the spitting image of Fisher Stevens with his beard and round eye glasses. And he had apparently that actor had just been in a movie called uh, Mary Jung in 1985. So uh, when people saw this, they thought he had moved to Hollywood and gotten a part there as well. <laughs> and Javid had to confirm in interviews that no, I, I didn't do this film. It was Fisher Stevens. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, as as that, that speaks that speaks a bit to the performance, at least, right? Yeah, you know? no, no. I mean, uh, honestly, when you think about it, it kind of says that it was this Javid guy just portraying. He he looked legit Indian, and everyone thought it was that guy. It's just that he was portraying this very stereotypical Indian part for right. an American well, film. Well, and I right? can imagine, yeah. and I can imagine Indian audiences like <laughs> viewing an American movie with an Indian actor in it would kind of go, well, of course he has to do the racist thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, what are you going to do? But it speaks to, to Stevens' performance that they yeah. like, that they would believe like, Oh, that's clearly an Indian actor, you know, yeah. that has some fame, you know, who's, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's respectable. Fisher yeah. Stevens kind of the standout star, definitely of, of, you know, the second film. And he's, he's got a lot of uh, fun, um, Jokes in the first one as well. I think yeah, yeah. it's quite good in the first one. And, and just just a side note, Daniel. Uh, by the way, uh, if if you thought his performance was was racist, uh, we're going to be doing a film sometime down the line, which you're going to find even worse. There, there, there's a movie called Nightmare Sisters with a character mm-hmm. playing a fake Indian in that character in that film. Oh, <laughs> Fisher Stevens <laughs> looks like a legit Indian <laughs> compared. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, again, I don't blame Fisher Stevens for it. And I'm not saying like this is the worst like you know portrayal of yeah, a person in India ever. Yeah. Like I'm aware that it's not, but it is definitely one of those things that mars the film, and uh, it is like the sort of thing that uh, it makes it hard to sort of like wholeheartedly recommend in 2018. Yeah, right? just just keep in mind where I was sort of referencing like the Breakfast and Tiffany scale with Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nightmare Sisters, this character fucking is neck and neck with Mickey Rooney as far as how bad it is. Well, we'll we'll cover that. We'll let's put that high on the list then, because yeah, yeah. I'm I'm you're selling this to me in just the right way. Like there's a there's a lot of naked women as well in that film. Well, you so, know, that's always yeah. that's always a selling point. I know you're, you're wrapping up uh, Cynthia Gibb. I love her in this. Yeah, um, she's great. She I kind of was looking her up. She's been kind of a working actress for a number of years. Like yeah. she went on, she She's a perfectly fine working actress. Again, someone that I kind of deeply appreciated in the, in this you know in this rewatch. I, I did uh, kind of like just watching her work. I thought she was a really mm-hmm. kind of fun character. Um, she's doing a little bit of that Annie Hall, but like updated to the eighties kind of thing, you know. Right, right, yeah. And uh, the two actors we didn't talk about in the first film: Austin Pendleton and uh, what's his name, <laughs> G.W. Bailey as a Captain Scroder. Um, yeah. Kind of round out our main cast. I mean, you know, we've got Ali Sheedy, Steve Gutenberg, Fisher Stevens, and then like Pendleton and Bailey. 
these are we, basically our characters that we're going to follow through the film. Yeah, and everybody's amazing. And, and we, and we think, never. And I don't think we even mentioned the uh, police academy connection, did we? With Gutenberg no, no. And, yeah. I mean, and yeah. I, at this point, like the, I mean, the police academy series was huge at you know in '86, right? You know, yeah. um, it was kind of at the height of you know when they were just making those sequels every couple of years, you know. And I think you know it's it's pretty it's pretty clear that maybe Gutenberg was like, well, let's just bring on my buddy G.W. Bailey. He'd right. be the kind of hard ass in this, and. uh you know, it's it's pretty clear that certainly as a kid, I kind of knew because I knew the Police Academy series and I kind of processed it, but didn't think of the. It's just like, well, of course, Steve Gutenberg, and then there's the there's the the hard ass sergeant. You know, he, he's, he's the he's he's, he's one of two '80s hard asses that I always identify with. Um, well, don't identify with, but recognize and kind of you know consider. Um, him and the guy who plays the principal in the, the uh, Back to the Future films. The oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're both the kind of small men who are mean spirited and uh, you know are dicks to everybody. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> well, while we're on the Police Academy films, I will make this. Uh, we'll make this. I'm stealing this joke from another from a political podcast. Um, okay, but um, you know, watching the. This comes from before the election, but watching Trump's speeches and stump speeches, he kind of sounds like Commandant Lassard that I became <laughs> a political candidate. You know, like everything is very, very beautiful. Yeah. I'm excited for this very, very large crowd. You know, um, it's it's kind of the same character. And, uh, and uh, we realize that that's our that's our president. That's that's the most powerful person in the world is Commandant Lassard. Uh, tells uh, I mean, you, yeah, he was probably getting but, but blowjobs but, from hookers under the under, under but, the fucking podium a, as well. But a racist nativist commandant, yeah. sorry. So not yeah. even like the sort of like amiable idiot, you know. Yeah, not like a good-hearted you know, idiot. Yeah. But the but the but the like you know actually harbors ill will towards the most marginalized people on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. That version of commandant Lassard. This is this is our president. So he's the bizarre yeah. world commandant Lassard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Also, for part two, just a couple of trivia points here. Um, sure. Like I mentioned, while it's supposed to be set in New York, the obvious fucking Toronto, Canada fucking locations here. Uh, in addition to using the tourist locale of Young and Dundas Square, the film also sets a scene inside the Eaton Center Mall. Features Old City Hall and Roy Thompson Hall and several streetcars in the background of numerous scenes and public buses with Toronto streets posted on their routes. One scene filmed in uh, Berserky Park includes a shot of the CN Tower peeking out, like I mentioned, and all the vehicles have Ontario license plates. Like it's it's one of the more <laughs> it's one of the more egregious films where they don't try to cover that shit up at all, right? Yeah, um, that's great. That's great. You know, yeah. I didn't even uh, notice the license plate thing, which is. I mean, surprising enough because there are like close up shots of license mm-hmm. plates in the film. And I never, like, I just never, you know, I guess I just completely missed it even on the rewatch. Yeah. Know, but... Like, there's actually a part of the plot that involves car thieves tricking Johnny Five into breaking into cars. It's the like... most horrible, horrible portrayal of racist. Doesn't that make the gang and batteries not included look like the most. Uh, it looks like the most nuanced, racially sensitive thing ever. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and the irony is that, like, Short Circuit 2, like, you know, that was just, like, par for the course at yeah. that. Like, it wasn't. Like, they were just, well, we need a gang. We need a gang, you know, and so we're going to go, Los Locos kick your ass. Los yeah. Locos kick your butt. Los Locos kick your ass into outer space. And I just <laughs> did, like, a French, like, chef version of that or whatever. But it's all right. Um, it's, 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 it's Canada. You can do that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if uh, New York City is so uh, minor within this, I almost wish they'd just kind of done this of, you know, well, I, I'm in Toronto because there's a big toy company here and I'm trying to sell. Like, I wish they hadn't even pretended it was New York and then we could have had the French-Canadian gang. It Con- considering yeah, considering our, like, immigration policy and stuff compared to the U.S., it almost makes sense that Fisher Stevens, you know, he loses his job. He can't find a job anywhere, on the, anywhere else in the U.S. He just moves to Canada, you know? Whatever. Sure. You know? Why not? Hmm. Uh, and the final thing, producers... I think you really just didn't want to go live in Montana with uh, Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg, who were clearly fucking constantly. Yeah, uh, you know, because Fisher Stevens is like, oh, she's very fine, you know. Yeah, he doesn't want to be the third wheel on that fucking deal. Yeah, you know? yeah. The Producers want Steve Gutenberg to come back, but he didn't commit to it. And 20 years later, Gutenberg apparently said he regretted not taking the fucking role. So there you oh. go. Well, I mean, I wonder what the film would have been if, like, Gutenberg had been around. Would he have been, like, the Michael McKean character? You know, sort of, you know, doing this kind of skeevy, I'm gonna, you know, like, oh, God, that would be even worse, right? Yeah, you know? I don't think he'd do that. Uh, I think, honestly, maybe if he had taken the role, probably Fisher Stevens might not have even been in the film. Oh, yeah, well, which would have which would have been kind of a shame, because I mm-hmm. actually do like Fisher Stevens here, you know. God, does that yeah. mean he starts hanging out with Cynthia Gibb? Oh. And then Ali Sheedy gets to not be, like, you know, the... you know, Yeah, no, that's... I mean, I love Cynthia Gibb, but that's definitely a trade down, my friend, you know? It, it really is, and I mean, it's it, that would be one of those really terrible sequels where they have to write a character out because they didn't show up. Oh, yeah, Ali Sheedy and Steven Gutenberg, they didn't work out. It's like, no, fuck you, they should have worked out. What the fuck's going on? But of course, Ali Sheedy did like, a, did, like, a little voice cameo for the film, yeah. so, like, presumably, if they'd given her some money, she... I mean, there's like kind of a good version of like short story, or at least a better version of this that's sort of existing under the surface. If like Steve Gutenberg had said yes, you know, you know, there's a way better version of this film where Johnny Five stays in Montana and he gets harassed by cowboys and they turn it to a fucking western with land claims and stuff <laughs> like that. Like that's the better version of this film that I want to see. <laughs> I love it. I love, you know, I, I love that idea of like, I, I, that, that just came to me. Like, that's what this second film should have been. It should have been Johnny five in Montana fighting fucking people who have claims to I, the land. I can, I can imagine Johnny five rolling himself into a saloon, like rolling up to a table, getting a whiskey. I imagine him like Django, you know, right. like the scene from Django where, you know, <laughs> Uh, I can't. I need to stop now because I'm literally writing a western in my head with you know yeah. five as the uh, as this western hero. You know, kind of being the, the only the only downside of that. Shitty. Yeah, the only downside of that is that he probably would have done the John Wayne impression way too much. Where what have got yeah, great. yeah. He kind of does. He kind of does like one or two lines, and that's enough. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of I kind of think he would have discovered Clint Eastwood. You know, but in the good version, we get to like, well, maybe he like discovered you know Italian real oh, Italian yeah. westerns, and he started to do like the the sort of uh, you know like suddenly he's like the Great Silence or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, budget Klaus Kinski alongside oh, okay. Number Five in 1988 Klaus- in a western. 
Klaus Kinski was for hire at that point. That, that yeah. was around the end of his career. He was doing anything for money. So, yeah. Budget for the first one was $9 million, made $40.7 million. Uh, I think that might even just be the domestic thing. So yeah. I think it even did better. And then we go to part two and the budget was 17 million. And then it only did 21.6 million. So they kind of shelved the idea of a part three. I, I know Johnny five like appeared in like a uh, commercial or something for some. Yeah, I was, I found that on the, um, you know, I guess this is the one like thing where you can say short circuit franchise. Right. Um, because it's not just two movies. There was a, you know, Hot Cars Cold Facts, made in 1990, is a short educational film featuring the Johnny Five character, not even with the same voice. Oh. And um, yeah, like it's supposed to take place. So apparently, it's something I don't know. Like whatever. <laughs> it's just it whatever. Was, it bullshit. was 1990. They they got the rights to you know. It's kind of like how uh, you know Doctor Who K Nine just kind of shows up everywhere, you know, oh, because yeah. the prop is sort of available to just kind of go around. I kind of think that's sort of what happened there. It's right? Like, oh, let's do a little uh, short film about like uh, cars. Let's do like a, a thing, like a, you know. So it's probably something that, like aired on Saturday morning TV and was immediately forgotten until somebody added it to the Wikipedia page because uh, people on the internet have no life. <laughs> the only thing would that would have validated that is if Johnny Five just broke character and went, Johnny Five is a whore. Johnny Five <laughs> wants to die. <laughs> no, I'm, no, no, imagining like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style where Johnny Five is like a real like per- there's a real person, you know, named Steve or something yeah. who's actually playing the Johnny Five stereotype, you know? And so he's like rolling himself off and he picks up a cigar and he's like, Yeah, I can't do this anymore, you fucking <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Gutenberg he got out when when the getting was good. <laughs> Now I now I really want to see that. Like the the prop is good enough, and like <laughs> particularly today with CG, where you can kind of make this shit seamless. You got to do the physical prop, but I now want to see like a series of Johnny Five movies. Well, that, you know, like par- written for today's standards. You know, yeah. Apparently, there was talk of I think it was in 2013 of starting a like a third film that might have been like a soft reboot of the whole thing, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be darker in tone. Um, of course, because that's how you do it, you know. Yeah, you know, because you know you don't want to make Superman likable. You just make him a fucking dick and a hobo. Um, yeah, both these. Hey, films... hobo Superman is good. I mean, uh, murdering murdering Superman is is the bad part. Mur- murdering half of Metropolis. That's yeah, not yeah. Superman. Yeah, you know. uh, yeah. But yeah, both these films I think are both worth revisiting. Part two, not as desperately, you know. If you, but... if, you if you, I think part one. If you haven't seen part one see part one if you enjoyed part one yeah check out part two that's yeah, the yeah. you know yeah there's even a scene in a country western bar which is a really good scene in a country western bar and you yeah know, yeah one of the better scenes of its kind in the 80s in, in yeah. the first year circuit so you yeah. know yeah check it out and there are three uh, stooges jokes yeah <laughs>
We're going to look at Hackers from 1995. Hidden beneath the world we know is the world they inhabit. Dave? Yeah, Ma? What are you doing? I'm taking over a TV network. I'll finish up, honey. Get to sleep. They're hackers. Hackers penetrate and ravage private and publicly owned computer systems. It's not just something they do. Sure, this sweet machine's not going to waste. Are you challenging me? It's who they are. I win, you wear a dress on our date. And if I win, so do you. They can crack any code. And get inside any system. Hello? Mr. Gill, according to our records, you're dead. I'm what? But this time... Come here, look at this. It's some kind of virus. Unless $5 million is transferred to the following account, I will capsize five oil tankers. They just hacked the wrong guy. Game's over. Whoever wrote this needs somebody to take the fall. He's about to commit the perfect computer crime. You've created a virus that's going to cause a worldwide disaster? And they're about to take the blame. A hacker planted the virus. But it's the perfect cover. Go, Molly! 
being framed. Can we be allies? I don't play well with others. Oh, wow, we are fried. Okay, let's nail it. No, you're not good enough to beat me. Yeah, maybe I'm not. But we are. They're the only ones who can prevent a catastrophe. I know how to stop this guy. They'll trace you like that. Are you nuts? Come at me! Unlike any the world has ever seen. Never send a boy to do a woman's job. Hackers of the world unite. Cops are in the building. I need more time. This is the end, my friend. United Artists welcomes you to the new world. Directed by Ian Softley, written by Raphael Moreau, who's actually pretty well known for doing editing, story editing, on nine episodes of the uh, Lone Gunman TV series. Oh, I did not know that. So, you know. I think the only other thing he directed was the, uh, it's, it's either Ian's, I, I, I should have took these in my notes. I should have done a better job at my job. But You're, um, you're, you're a terrible podcast host, my I am. friend. You know, I am. Because, it's either... well, you know more than me you don't know enough to really be authoritative yeah. on this. And so I'm giving you shit for it right now. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Rightly so. It's yeah. either Ian Softley or Raphael Moreau, Moreau uh, had something to do with the uh, sequel to Carrie in the 90s. Carrie 2, mm. the, Ra- the Rage. No, no, that's, that's, that's Moreau. That's Moreau. Yeah, I yeah okay, Moreau there right we now. go. Yeah. This is starring Johnny Lee <sighs> Miller as Dade Murphy, a.k.a. Zero Cool and Crash Override. Angelina Jolie as Kate Libby, a.k.a. Acid Burn. Uh, Renoli Santiago as Ramon Sanchez, or The Phantom Freak. Matthew Lillard Lillard as Emmanuel Goldstein, or a.k.a. Serial Killer. Lawrence Mason as Paul Cook, or Lord Nikon. Jesse Bradford as Joey Pardella. Fisher Stevens as The Plague or Eugene Belford. Uh, Laureen Bracco as Margot Wallace. Alberta Watson as Lauren Murphy. And Pin Gillette as Hal. I think we both probably had the same experience with this film as well, kind of. Uh, in uh, our, I, our I, I would, I would, I, well, let's, let's do you first, actually. You always let me go first and then I talk too much. That's my problem on this podcast. <laughs> you are too polite to me. And so it's you're Canadian, I'm American. We're both drinking, and so I just talk over you continually. Yeah, you're um, rude, fucking Yankee. Jesus. Yeah, mm. I don't know. You know, if if it was just you on this podcast, you'd get way more listens. You know, don't if people just don't um, listen to me talk. You know. Um. So okay, so the the first time I saw this was probably the year it came out on uh, VHS. Yeah. So, so like probably, '96. Yeah. Yeah, and just I rented it on kind of buzz of classmates and stuff talking about it mm-hmm. because it was, you know, the new cool movie that everyone was like, Oh, hackers, fucking hackers is fucking awesome. And so I watched it and uh, I really liked it uh, at that point. You know, it was like just getting into high school or whatever, you know, a couple years away from, well, actually a year away from graduation really. But yeah, it was kind of a movie of its moment. You know, like it, I kind of want to resend now my comments about uh, Johnny Mnemonic being the most '90s movie ever. When this is kind of the most '90s movie ever, <laughs> yeah. And 
I really liked it back then. I think maybe my opinion of it now is a little lessened because it's so goddamn silly and sci-fi in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it still kind of maintains a really neat charm to it, I think that it's sort of never lost this this film like it, it moves at a really quick pace like this film just constantly is going somewhere part of it's that 90s editing where everything's kind of flashy almost music video it's, kind of editing. it's it's pre-avid but sort of post mtv in terms yeah. of its editing. yeah and i still like it a lot uh, i'm I, I don't i don't want to get too deep into it until we start talking about it but um i thought it worked for what it was at the time and i think it still kind of works for what it was at the time and i think it still kind of works as a legit kind of good nostalgia piece too just to see where all these uh, actors went afterwards and to see them young and to see a young angelina jolie with some baby fat on her like (laughs) yeah uh, i I like that the the pre-plastic surgery you know angelina jolie the Mm -hmm. pre most gorgeous woman in the world you know you know Quote, in, in quotes, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, no, she, yeah. she's pretty phenomenal in this. So We'll get into it. Like, I, I think plot-wise, this kind of just structurally, it kind of falls apart. It, 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 because it, it is kind of that uh, music video style kind of movie. And I, th- I think, like, Johnny <sighs> Mnemonic suffers a lot from that same kind of idea. Yeah. Like, a lot of movies in this period kind of have that quick editing story is secondary it's much more about how cool the visuals are how flashy the characters are all that sort of thing but yeah uh, well every everything in kind of the final third of the film i mean it kind of collapses as it like actually has to start to tell a story you know okay so i'm gonna interrupt you just because Mm -hmm. i feel like you're you're kind of winding down it's time for you know my history with this film is not your history with this film at all and that was kind of why i wanted to get yours on it and the reason it isn't is because I was never a computer hacker, but I really wanted to be. Yeah. Like I was I was the sysadmin of my high school like email server, you know, at the mm. Mac where I went to my last two years of high school. I have spent a significant amount of my time like typing into like terminal windows, you know, yeah. strange commands. You know, I was gonna major in computer science. I wanted to be a computer security professional based on not like this movie, but based on my genuine interest in just that sort of thing. Um, and then just sort of didn't really like coding when I kind of started school when I started college and sort of switched out of that. I wish I'd stuck with it. I would have, you know, and, and <laughs> I wish I'd had better teachers is kind of the, the other side of that. I wish I had, you know, my personal history is kind of complicated around that. A part of me still kind of loves that stuff. And a big part of me still loves that stuff. I hated this movie in 1996. Did you? <laughs> because it's so desperately horribly inaccurate in terms of like anything that has to do with any of the technical side stuff. Right. And yet it's very authentic in terms of sort of what's actually in the script, you know, up until kind of the final third where it just kind of goes off to, they try, they're tracking us through the worm, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that you have to understand is so, uh, Raphael Moreau, he was kind of into this stuff and he was into this kind of subculture and he followed this for years and like wanted to write a script around it. So like when they're like passing around the, the books and right. um, in that scene, all that shit is real. Yeah. Like, the rainbow series the, or whatever. The, you know, the, the, the pink, the, the ugly pink shirt book, the, you know, like all this, 
all of the stuff that's like how you actually hack most of like these kids what they're doing is mostly just getting passwords impersonating people they're doing social engineering is what they call Mm -hmm. it that's exactly how the vast majority of hacking is actually done is you call somebody up and you convince them you're somebody you're not and you get them to give you information that then leads you down another line you know that's how this subculture originated and then just sort of like being able to like phone freaking which is you know kind of using the tones to kind of get free long distance phone calls all of that if you just kind of ignore some of the you know details of sort of there are a bunch of high school kids who are all like living in one place and all that's like (laughs) you know that's just sort of movie movie logic right you know that's just just sort of like okay we all go to the same school because otherwise the script doesn't work yeah it doesn't Um, work yeah um and there are some there's another thing that we'll we'll get there but everything up until kind of the final third of the film is you know again on a script level 100 percent authentic it yeah, feels uh, very, very real. The, the movie, know? the movie talks the talk; it doesn't walk the walk. Is kind of the problem, I think. Exactly. So it's it's almost like, um, I and I really love that. You know, um, the other thing that it really does, and I was going to say this, but it kind of conflates the sort of the mythology of sort of the cyberpunks with this sort of club kid culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's overwhelmingly like white dudes in t-shirts sitting in their basements and like, you know, racking up huge phone bills, dialing into like BBSs gets turned into this like radically queer, uh, multi-ethnic, you know, like sort yeah, of, this, um, you know, thing that's like, where the drugs are not drugs, they're high-end computers. And that's sort of what, <laughs> what, it, what it kind of becomes, um, which, man, I wish that the cyberpunk culture actually was that. Today, all of these, basically the same subculture becomes, you know, they're all neo-Nazis now, basically. Like that's just yeah, the, the, the they're you know, all they're right. all fucking assholes on 4chan and Reddit. And but but and like and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend this now. I'm gonna, there's there's a book. There's a brilliant book, um, written by Bruce Sterling, who was one of the sort of progenitors of the cyberpunk literature. One of the big influences on William Gibson, who is like oh, name checked in the film, you know. Um, but he wrote a nonfiction book called The Hacker Crackdown. Um, in 1990. I think 92 or 93. So right before the internet became a thing about this sort of BBS and sort of dial up um, phone freaker culture, interviewed a bunch of people like he's, and this is, it's available for free online. He deliberately made this available for free online. Like he owns the rights and put it out there for anybody to share. You can Mm. buy it if you want to, but if you Google the hacker crackdown, Bruce Sterling, there are like numerous websites where you can just sit and read this for free, completely legit. On um, mostly, I, I did this to to make sure it was still available. Mostly on websites that looked like they were written in 1996 or so. So <laughs> that's how you know it's legit when yeah. they are like like old school classic, you know, um, websites. They're- and if you are at all interested in this sort of subculture and the kind of reality behind this, it is worth a read it is legitimately worth a read also connected to sneakers uh the robert redford film from 1995 it's all it's all the same sort of genre and definitely check that out if you if you're at yeah. all so, so I, was, I was going to mention this is essentially the sci-fi sneakers yeah yeah well revisiting it now like i rewatched it this evening because i i kind of watched a bit of it here and there and then just kind of didn't i didn't really get a chance to kind of rewatch it until this afternoon 
I really enjoyed it. Getting away from that, the sort of the bullshit technical accuracy stuff that kind of threw me as a kid and sort of the the wish fulfillment fantasy of, oh, and then we're all cool because, you know, that's, we're all wearing, you know, kind of. That's, the, that's, a, that's a big thing. These are the coolest nerds. This is the culmination of wish fulfillment for nerds. Oh, if we were actually really cool, this is the fantasy. The, the reality of hackers is in the final sequence where it goes to different hackers across the world communicating yep. on computers. You were saying none of these guys would all be in the same fucking town. It's just a contrivance of the plot. The, the reality of this film would be all these idiots on fucking keyboards talking to each other for two hours. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. that's well, not a movie. There's a really good version of this. That's that's basically that, right? You know, um, I mean, I would I would love to see these sort of. And then we spent two weeks figuring out how to. We were port sniffing and you know all that kind of stuff. You know, I can what's, I can uh, I can imagine some really fun stuff going. What, what's on that movie that. we watched? Uh, Computer chess, wasn't it? Computer that's, chess. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the that's sort of the realistic version of this. Or it's the proto version. Yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of really fascinating stuff going on. Again, read the Hacker Crackdown. Like seriously, read it. If you have any interest at all in like the reality of this, there's also a book by Stephen Levy that's called Hackers that describes the beginnings of this subculture starting around um, 1959 when basically <laughs> the model train club at MIT was made up of two groups of people. One group of which were the people like really obsessively interested in the details of getting how trains in 1865 looked right. Right. And the other group were really interested in like the switching systems huh. that were designed to make, you know, the trains kind of move properly. And that latter group then started working on the mainframes at MIT, both uh, on and off the clock for classwork, and then ended up becoming like the original hackers. And I'm telling you, there's a lot, lot of really sense. fascinating shit. That's, in this that's background, cool. You know? I like that. Yeah. That makes a lot no, of no. sense. And that's, and that's real. Somebody should make a movie about that. I would I would love to see like a real, you know, kind of version of this. I like this. I mean, watching it again today, I really like it. It's such the fantasy version, but it's so heartfelt and it so captures the ideals of kind of what the hacking community should have been mm. versus kind of what it became to some degree because it is radically queer, multi-ethnic, you know, like people who are uh, on the outside of their society who are kind of banding together and going against both like massive corporations and uh, a, you know, massively corrupt and evil government. And like, yeah, yeah no, I'm totally down for that guys. You know? <laughs> um, and it, and it captures that like it, the version of this world that this film captures is really impressive. And I mean, it does sort of reach out for the sort of better version of what hackers sh should have always been. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of weird to see where um, the government agency that's, you know, cracking down on cyber crime or whatever, they would actually take the side in the end of the hackers and go after the people inside their, a fucking group that are trying to exploit all this and uh, steal, right. and they're and they're using the they're using the Richard Pryor fucking scam from Superman three <laughs> to skim money in the Office Space. Scam oh yeah, yeah. As well. oh yeah, yeah. Well, Office Space was after this one. Yes, but, yeah, no, but, it's, yeah. it's it's the same scam. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely. Um, and there, I mean, again, the first two thirds of this film, I mean, if you kind of abstract like, oh, they've got to make it visually interesting. And I actually like kind of the visuals in this. I kind of like the visual style. Yeah, of, and sort of the a, way lot of it, it, a lot of it's not CGI. A lot of it's actually. No, it's not. C in 1995, they, I mean, 
there was a thing I, I read that the director said, like, I don't, I didn't use any like computer graphic generated stuff just because it all looked really fake. Like, if you think mm-hmm. nineteen ninety five, if you like Lawnmower Man style, right? Like, let's look at what VR looks like. So instead, they made you know like little props and models and motion controlled cameras that kind of did things that look like better versions of some of the computer generated imagery. And the actual computer-generated imagery looks. That really, uh, for me, that harkens back to John Carpenter with Escape mm-hmm. from New York, where you have that initial sort of sci-fi computer. It's supposed to be computer graphics, where they're going over the city or whatever. It's supposed to be a computer representation of the city, when in reality, they built all the models, and they just put, like, fluorescent tape over the models yeah. to make yeah. it look like Yeah. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of that going on in terms of the, the effects. And I think, I mean, I think that stuff all looks really nice. I, it does. Know, Obviously, like swooping through like buildings of data or whatever, it's not in any sense that like, that is, you know? uh, yeah, that I mean, that's, that's even the visual a, metaphor. I don't really understand what they're going for half the it's, time. It's, yeah. it's a it's a movie conceit, right? Because yeah. we, we got to get the general audience into trying to understand what this is about. And honestly, that's that's more of a again, like you were saying, they reference William Gibson here, where the Gibson is the mainframe yeah. they have to hack into or whatever. But I mean, it, this movie really does draw a lot from cyberpunk, the idea oh, yeah. of cyberspace before they're and this is 1995, so really this is still before the internet as we know it. It's, it's before cyberspace. It's right at part. that moment where the internet becomes a thing. And yeah. That's, that's, I think that's an important thing. Is It's before kind of like September 1996 is considered the September that never ended, right? Mm-hmm. I get to reveal my like computer nerd history here. I get to like, you know, <laughs> I sometimes don't know that other people don't know this, right? You know, so... In the old days, and this is, I kind of came in at, like around this time or after this, so I'm not saying like, but like I've read a bunch of the old literature, you know, so I kind of know vaguely the world and I was on Usenet for a couple of years. The whole thing was, you know, if you were like on the internet in 1992, every September you'd get a bunch of kids coming on who had just, you know, her 18 year old who got to college, who got their first like internet account, their first like computer accounts, right. so they'd show up in your forums and they'd not know anything and they'd be little shitty kids and they would just ruin everything for everybody. Right. Well, the internet happened and like September, 1986 is considered the September that never ended because <laughs> basically all the kids, they'd come on and then they kind of learn the rules and they kind of know kind of how to do stuff. And then like things would settle back down. And then the next year, everything would get shitty again around yeah, September. Yeah. We are eternally in the September that never ended today. Right. You know, exactly. um, that's yeah. just what the internet is. You know, we've had now 22 years of, you know, that September and uh, things just keep getting shittier and shittier. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the visualizations that they create for this where they're in cyberspace and stuff, that's directly William Gibson oh, yeah. uh, cyberpunk stuff where, you know, they don't do it in this film. But the idea of uh, like cyberpunk where you're directly connecting it to your head and you're, you're going inside a computer and there's visualizations that you're seeing. Like I mean, that I mean, is Zero cool that. literally has like a little headset towards yeah. the end of the film. And you can't, you can't think that there's anything except they're kind of doing the neuromancer thing, mm-hmm. even though they're not saying they're doing it, you know? Right. And you're right. Computer hacking basically works the way it works in neuromancer in this film. I mean, these, I wish they could have just made Neuromancer the film. Exactly, I mean, that's kind of right, what they're yeah. trying to do here. You know, I mean, it looks, if you just think like, oh, this is Neuromancer the movie, it looks phenomenal for that. You know, it has nothing to do with like any real like computer technology in 1995. No. 
Um, but I mean, uh, Lawnmower Man and Johnny Mnemonic did Neuromancer better than this film does Neuromancer, yeah, yeah. but this is still the better film than both of those. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So I really like the dynamics between the characters in this film. Matthew Lillard, <laughs> I'm sorry, that that's a genderqueer character, right? Like, he is so playing. Yeah, he's... Which is to say he's a club kid in the 90s. And I I, I legit, like, I respond, like, I love that. I love that Mm -hmm. that's, like, an element of this film. I really believe in all the individual characters as people, you know? Yeah. Even the more minor characters, they really feel like, you know, um, when uh, the dude, you know, he's like, you know, I hit it in the place that I hit that thing that one time. That's such a beautiful little character moment. I kind of read him as, as, uh, you know, somewhat queer or gay or you know some you know he, he's definitely kind of on the effeminate scale right and then like the idea of sending this guy to jail for for kind of nothing and you kind of see the way he's being cat called as he's kind of being marched yeah. through the jail i mean that's legit i mean that's a legitimately like terrifying moment for me just just watching that um i mean i just my i just want to punch all those fucking assholes you know what i mean yeah. you know i think the, um, i think the best thing though is like that that character he doesn't show any fear though it's like he gets yeah. his telephone call and he's like defiant you know oh, no. and that's and that's completely on point for who this character should be as well because you mm-hmm. know and we got to talk uh we got to talk angelina jolie right I mean, yeah i mean goddamn, she's absolutely beautiful in this film like it's, it's like she, whoa <laughs> you know i've seen um particularly queer women kind of talking about this film and kind of going like the, the the struggle of like watching basically discovering their sexuality and like not knowing if they were into John Lee Miller or you know Angelina mm-hmm. Jolie in this movie and the answer is both right <laughs> you know like well yeah and uh, it, it's pretty interesting like they both basically dress the same too that, yeah like everybody in the film kind of dresses the same so it's not like there's a defined separation between them necessarily and I mean right. Angelina Jolie's got the short hair too so it's you know. She's got the she's got the the pixie cut almost the rosemary's cut. baby kind of right. you know yeah, okay, yeah. you know um, no she's fun I mean you know I, one thing you know this may be a controversial statement but you know, like on the evidence of this film that that Angelina Jolie character she's gonna go places yeah you know, uh, actress yeah she's got some legs on and she's you know oh, she's no, got the, some chops the, the camera uh, uh, and yeah again her acting ability too is pretty apparent in this film as well but. Um, the camera just totally is on top of her all the time. That initial uh, shot where she's introduced, where she comes up to him and's like, I want to see your transfer papers. And then you get that shot of her lips, which is like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, well, my one, one of my favorite, just like Angelina Jolie hot moments in, you know, anything. I mean, yeah, there are a few of those in this film, but in particular, the, the moment where, so over the course of the film, the John Lee Miller character, like Zero Cool, has been like fantasizing about Angelina Jolie kind of coming in and oh, like yeah. him. And then there's the one where the role is reversed, where like where you she realize fantasizing. and she sits up in bed, which we've seen John Lee Miller did kind of do in the film. And she sits up, and the camera just watches her for a minute. And yeah, she, she's all she's all sweaty, and then she goes like, "Yeah," she's like <laughs> biting her lip and doing, and like yeah. it's. It's. It would be very easy for an actress to basically get this wrong, right? To oversell or undersell or kind of. But I totally believe that Angelina Jolie's character in that moment woke up, 
was confused about the dream she just had and then was like totally into it and like that's the moment where she's like i'm totally fucking that guy yeah, you know, it was one of the more convincing wet dreams in cinema history. One, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the more convincing, um, you know, woman deciding, you know, one of the more one of the more convincing horny women in cinema history. Mm-hmm. We'll, just, we'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, she's amazing, and yeah. uh, it's funny. Like in my memory, the nude scenes, quote unquote, kind of like stand, kind of, kind of. Uh, it's very brief. Like they, he, they, 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 in my memory, it's got extended like five minute sequence. Right. But <laughs> two little knit slips, and it's done. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow. This is you know, I'm I'm kind of amazed. Although the even just the idea of you know, she's wearing that leather jacket and nothing else underneath. Uh, yeah, you know, there's sort there's, of a you know, there's, there's a great tease factor to this film. And I mean, if yeah. if in a, of course, if you wanted to see her looking almost exactly the same, totally nude. You just have to go like a couple years later to like Firefox or something like that. Yeah. Where it's like totally, <laughs> she's just like, yeah, titties out. <laughs> well, it's funny like that's who she kind of becomes for a while. And I, yeah. I know she's seen some, um, she did some interviews where she basically, was, I got kind of stereotyped after that film where like, oh, I'm going to be the tough girl in like the tank top and no bra. And because you are phenomenal with that, Angelina Jolie. And like, yeah. I, I mean, not that I'm saying she should have been typecast as that, but also, well, yeah, uh, but like, you know, and still she worked her way out of it too. So she did, like, she did, you know. Yeah, like, so it's um, not like she got stuck there, right? And uh, obviously built a great career. And she's someone who I think somebody kind of ten years younger than me or fifteen years younger than me, kind of approaching her today, would you know she's just the giant actress who is the classic sex symbol. And I'm really glad that I was uh, kind of born early enough and kind of got to see the. Angelina Jolie as the kind of sexy character actress Mm -hmm. as opposed to the giant star, because I think that that's kind of the thing with her in this is that, you know, she really is playing a character. She really is kind of doing that thing. She isn't Angelina Jolie in lights. She's just Angelina Jolie, really cool. Like person you get to see in a movie and she's great in this. And uh, also she sells this character. She sells a relationship, but she's also shells the kind of um, sells, not shells. She doesn't shell anything in this movie. Well, she's not. Uh, she's not a um, a World War One uh, artillery cannon. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I switched over to whiskey, so I may be slightly uh, slurring here. I apologize. Uh, I, think, I think the I think the listeners are used to that shit from us. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, this, is, this is what happens when we record. We start recording at like eleven thirty on a Saturday night, right? For, for uh, Tempodossi. Uh, I, I should mention. Um, no, I forgot what I was going to mention. <laughs> Probably something much more interesting than me just continuing to blather on about like Angelina Jolie's ass in that scene where, you know. Fuck. I really had something to say too and I forgot. Um, John, Lee, John Lee Miller's character, Murphy, what's his name? Zero Cool. What's Zero the, Cool uh, and. Dave Murphy. Dave Murphy. Is Dave Murphy. Yeah. Um, the idea of a, like a kid who you know broke into some systems and then you know like was that was all very that was kind of a real thing that was happening in the eighties and early nineties mm-hmm. and so um, you know again the hacker crackdown is kind of about it a lot of that you know sort of the legal action that was going around about like kids who you know they get their first computer and then they were kind of exploring they stepped on some people's toes sometimes you know and legitimate and sometimes illegitimate, you know, like sometimes in ways that were really just, I was just exploring and sometimes some kid was well, being a shit. Yeah. You know? And, and um, that's a real thing too, is that some of these people got 
stomped on and silenced and, you know, banned from computers for years. And then other people are like the Fisher Stevens character who became employed by the government to catch right. these hackers, right? Yeah, yeah, no. And um, there was a uh, there was this belief among a lot of them is, well, you know, you're breaking laws, but basically when the go- when and if the government finds you, they're going to be so impressed by your skills that yeah. they just want to they're just going to want to know how you did it, right? You know. And um so there was this and, and particularly among the phone freaker community. So phone freaking and that is spelled with a PH because yeah. it goes with phone, right? And these are people, you know, hacking phone systems and like kind of making, you know, so back in the day, kids, you couldn't just call anyone you wanted to on your cell phone. <laughs> like, you know, back in the day there were these things called long distance charges. And if you wanted to like talk to people. And so the idea like they would call into these BBSs and then charge the like long distance service to somebody else's number, you know, mm-hmm. but they would justify it by going like, well, this should just be free. This should, or right. it should be like dirt cheap. This was also the area in which like the, the mob and the sort of the, the, the big, uh, you know, we are kind of talking about this sort of very, you know, at this point, ancient, you know, sort of tech history. It really you know? is because we 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 were sort of on the edge of this world changing. Yeah, yeah. You you and I still remember fucking uh, payphones. You don't yeah, see yeah. payphones anymore. No, no, no. I mean, you barely even see phones anymore. It's all yeah. it's all like cell phones, and you know, like <laughs> I used to work in an electronics department where I sold physical telephones. Yeah. You know? It's part of my job. I sold office phones and house phones and stuff. And today, the idea that you could walk into an office supply store and just see a row of phones that you could just buy. It's all, you know, cell phones and, and mobile units today. Like it's just, it's just gone. You know? Yeah. Pe- people don't buy that shit anymore. Like, where do you see this stuff now? You see it in um, flea markets and the people who buy them are the people who are fucking CB enthusiasts and stuff, yeah. who, you know, gear up a fucking CB out of it or whatever, you know? So sure. the character, Emmanuel Goldstein, who is uh Matthew Lillard's character is named after the founder of the 2600 magazine who right. that wasn't his that wasn't his real name that was the name he gave himself after the leader of the resistance of the the, the rebellion in uh Orwell's 1984 yeah 1984 yeah. Yep. yeah yeah so uh there's that's another like you know very clear like reference to sort of a real world character you know and then mm-hmm. at the end you know Matthew Lillard ends up being kind of the guy who's like spreading all the information to cyberspace which is a very like that's how hackers operate is the people who you know I want to spread this information to the people who need to know this you know see that that remind me I don't I don't I should have did research on this but um there was an incident where uh, a hacker um did what the basically what the two um Asian hackers, Razor and Blade or whatever. Razor and Blade, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And no one's ever found out who this guy was. Someone, I think, I guess he was wearing a, I think it was kind of the inspiration for Max Hedrum as well, where he, he was wearing like a Ronald Reagan mask, I think it might have been, or something like that, where he, he actually hacked into a TV signal and, and mm-hmm. did a broad live broadcast. It was like sometime in the 80s, I believe. I'll put it in the fucking show notes uh, and a, a link to it, but um, it, it just kind of reminded I'm, me. You're ringing some vague bells for me, but I don't have a like a specific thing yeah. that I could. Like, it, talk it was about, like a you know? it was like an early non-computer version of like hacking, yeah. where someone like managed to get on the air and commandeer like a TV signal for like a short amount of time or whatever, and this broadcast went over to you know several places or whatever, and um, 
it just kind of reminded me of that uh, when when Matthew Lillard did that, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean yeah. it's very it's very plugged into reality in this in this way that is despite the fact that you know it's kind of conflating some some subcultures and it's definitely painting these you know the hackers in a very idealistic light. Yeah, they're all, they're, they're all heroes. They're not, you know, yeah, they're not going to become neo-Nazis on Reddit. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, you know. Um, but in 1995, you know, I don't think that there was a, it was, everything was potential at that point. It was all, yeah. it was all, uh, but even then there were some kind of nasty kind of elements. Of that yeah, that's, that. that's the thing. This, so, this kind of sugarcoats uh, the reality well, and, of the culture. The reality, is also, the reality is also, you know, it wasn't this like multi-ethnic, you know, sort of inviting to all people right. who cared about it. it. was a bunch of like white kids who really liked computers and weren't necessarily good in school social and, interaction, so, you know, and, stuff, and social yeah. interaction, you know, and that's interesting. And that's, that's a, you know, but I do, yeah, I do wish that the fantasy version were better. You know, it's it's but, a much but more it reflects, preferable. But it, but it reflects a lot of like communities today. So it yeah. is sort of, you know, like a, a bunch of, there are kind of geek communities that are full of, you well, know. Well, yeah, you can see why this movie has sort of persevered throughout the years, yeah. why it became a cult classic, because it's kind of inspirational, that kind of ideal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ideal that the film kind of gives you is fuck the man to the degree that they're fucking you, you know, mm-hmm. and information that knowledge of the this world of computers, but also just this world around us, that understanding the world is your gateway to being able to, um, you know, rebel against it to the degree that's suppressing yeah, you. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I wish it was even more overt about that. That's the thing that it's going to do because ultimately it kind of tells more of a kind of straightforward story of a kind of corporate espionage. But I mean, it, it works. I mean, it, like I get why people respond to this so strongly. And honestly, I respond to that. I mean, mm-hmm. this was probably my first time actually watching it start to finish that I like, really kind of let myself get involved in the film. And uh, kind of aside from my kind of technical yeah, kind of knowledge of it, and you know, I really enjoyed it. I really, you know, this was this was a very, this film is, uh, I've, I saw this for the first time, possibly via a, you know, digital download back when that was done, you know, over <laughs> dial-up lines. Yeah. Um, oh. I think I probably saw a VHS copy, but it, I might have actually seen a, you know, digital copy the very first time because I was doing this <laughs> in 1996, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, I, re- I remember what I was going to say about Angelina Jolie's character, by the way. Um, sure. I like how, yeah, she's really hot, and the other characters respond to that like, yeah, she's really hot. But at the same time, she's just an accepted member member of the group. And there's mm-hmm. there's that scene where they're at the party, and she's making out with her douchebag boyfriend who's not who's, into computers at all. Who's yeah. who's nonetheless wearing a TDK T-shirt because he's a total poser, right? Yeah, yeah. he's just a, a poser. But it's like I, I like how they suddenly realize they're being watched. And then the, the guys are trying to make up an excuse. No, we just came to see your computer. Great fucking laptop, man. Like, your new laptop's awesome. And she, she immediately geeks out. And it's like, yeah, I know. Oh, my yeah, laptop's yeah. awesome, man. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a great moment. And it's also, like, A, one of those moments where, um, because the thing, what happens is Dade kind of says, hey, you know, burn. Like, mm-hmm. he, he basically, like, calls out to her, like, dude, we're watching you, you know, you know, um, which kind of elevates him as a character in my mind, because, you know, they really did go in there to kind of check out her computer and stuff. And then yeah. like, suddenly it's taken off her bra and the other dudes are kind of just, yeah, we'll just watch this whenever. But, you know, 
he's a gentleman. He calls yeah. it out and he kind of says, you know, hey, you know, we're here. If you want to keep fucking regardless, like that's fine with me. I would be happy to watch that. Yeah, and I so personally you know. <laughs> would be happy to watch that. But you yeah. should know we're here, you know. But then she totally gets on with the in uh, the boyfriend just kind of leaves the movie. Yeah, you know, you're not going to do that computer shit again, are you? It's like, fuck yeah, man. we're going to hang out with my friends and do computer shit. So there you go. Um, I really think she would have been a more interesting. I mean, it, it, there is a sense in which uh, you know, <laughs> Dave Murphy is the least interesting character among the. He, he is, group, you know. Yeah. Um, really, any of the others would have been a better kind of lead, but uh, you know. It also just kind of works structurally. Yeah, you know. You know. Um, uh, I love I love uh, Lord Nikon. Uh, yeah, where he's kind of he's kind of Morpheus. I love that first scene. That yeah, of course he kind of gets to be the magic Negro because he's a <laughs> black guy in a movie about technology made in the nineties. So of course that's who he is. Um, but I do kind of love the uh, the scene where you first are introduced to him. He has the hood over his face. He has the kind of you know. Oh yeah, I'm not you know. Is he cool? Who, whatever. You know, who's you know, this guy? Style. What have you done? I mean, like, man, and, then, and then Matthew Lillard like comes in and he's like, "Hey, dude, can I stay? Can I sleep on your couch?" And then he like pulls off the hood, and then you realize, like, "Oh no, this guy's really warm. He's, he's a really comfortable guy. Yeah, he's, he's just a, he's just putting on a character, and it's fine." Yeah, you know? This is another dork. It's like it's yeah. almost D and D. Like he's he's oh, kind of no, larping at very, that point, right? It's very D and D, and you kind of get like everybody's kind of doing that. I mean, this is just a, you know, and that's the thing with you know these nerd communities should be that right? They mm-hmm. should be this warm inviting like we're all the outsiders but we kind of accept each other because we live in the island of misfit toys and yet so many of these shitheads you know they become nazis because they ultimately um don't really care about people who are not actually just like them and then they want to gatekeep and it's all a bunch of bullshit and uh i love the fantasy version of this world much more than i love the the real version of this world same here um Oh, I'll mention the the minor character of uh, I think it's Gill or something like that. He's the head yeah. of the government department. Where I I just liked how he's he, like he's he's a member of the Secret Service, which is real. Yeah. Which is um. So people think the Secret Service is just like oh they protect the president. That's not how the Secret Service got started. They got started off doing counterfeit bills during the Civil War. Then so because they're dealing with currency, and then when like electronic currency or sort of like wire transfers become a thing they uh, start kind of regulating that and like enforcing that. And then that's how they become part of computer security and sort of right. like why they're, they're actually relevant. This whole story is told in the hacker crackdown, which you should be reading right now instead of listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I love how he's kind of this figurehead character where he doesn't know shit about computers, yeah. but he puts on the airs that he does when he's talking to the media. But then he has yeah. all these, he has all these guys under him who are actual nerds who know computers and they're, trying to explain to him what's actually going on, which I just yeah. thought was right, I love really the, true. I love the Mark Anthony character who is like reading from the hacker manifesto, which is a real thing, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of going like, yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of on board with this. And then his partner going like bunch of commies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, great. yeah, it's great. Um, uh, and then speaking, about, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think we're going the same direction here. Um, I was, I was going to speak on uh, Fisher Stevens and yeah. Lorraine Bracco. How I think, I think they're done a bit of a disservice in this film. I th- I feel like they're kind of one dimensional compared to everything else that's going on in the film. I mean, I think they give pretty good performances, and um, I'll always say this: I think Lorraine Bracco's voice is really sexy, even though her delivery is kind of bland as 
fuck in this film, I think. But, you know, given what they're given in this film, I think they do a pretty good job. But they're still, they did they feel like an afterthought to me compa- yeah. compared to everything else that's going on. To a degree, that's a, like, the film is kind of overplotted, right? Yeah. yeah. And and it's funny that we've kind of talked about all the stuff around the film more than we've talked about the film itself. But I think the film is overplotted, and I think that, you really, the way that that manifests is it never really gives any of our antagonists kind of room to breathe. Like it's mm-hmm. very good at kind of giving us the fictionalized, but still kind of recognizably real world of the hackers and these kind of teenagers kind of doing the things that they're doing. What it doesn't do is kind of give the kind of other side. And so we've kind of got two primary antagonists. We've got the sort of secret service uh, guy, Gil, yeah. and then we've got the sort of corporate, like former hacker turned, you know, dude working for the big company who is Fisher Stevens. And I think Fisher Stevens, I think he's good here. I I, I actually really like him here. He sells the character really well. And there is sort of a complicated plot going on around him. And and I I think that there's an intricacy that, that gets overlooked sometimes talking about the film because like he's defrauding the company he's working for Mm -hmm. at the same time, trying to like put the whole thing on the kind of quote unquote innocent kids, you know, et cetera. And I really love that aspect of it, but you're right that they are underdeveloped and it is because we're spending our time kind of doing the like heavy plotting thing as opposed to, you know, really kind of letting them breathe. Um, I mean, again, the final third is really where this film should have really lifted off and kind of become something because it does kind of become about this sort of revolutionary. We're going to change the world by kind of exposing this. And it kind of just becomes these two people are responsible for everything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And Fisher Stevens is sort of a, well, actually, he's kind of the asshole in the nerd community that yeah, yeah. You know, well, yeah, I mean, right now, right? well, he he's the asshole, but he's the asshole because he's just after money. He's mm-hmm. it's not even it's not even that he he doesn't reveal a sort of inner conflict that's kind of going on within this. I mean, you know, and this is where the film. I mean, it's made in 1995, and it kind of does the thing that it does. I don't want to hit well, it too hard I mean, for this, but it doesn't it doesn't anticipate kind of where all this is going, right? You know. Yeah. Well, he's he's the angry entitled nerd he switched sides and he's still out to screw the system but he feels like he deserves to get money out of this and he feels like he deserves to uh bang the beautiful blonde in Lorraine Rocco who is just her character is so one-dimensional she's just the dummy who doesn't know computers and she just has yeah, yeah. have a position of power that she, she, even... she ends up being the one that has stuff explained she becomes an audience avatar towards the yeah story, right you know like Colonel, what do you mean, General Colonel? What, what's going on? You know, and yet, and that's the moment where the film doesn't make any technical sense as well. You know, right. so it does kind of feel like in the the extended climax sequence, we really are kind of getting the this is the bad version of this film because yeah. it really should have been more of a like psychological play between Fisher Stevens and Zero Cool. It yeah. should have been kind of about those two characters and the sort of philosophy that they're, you know, but then it just kind of becomes like, you know, we're kind of running around and there's some good stuff in that. Um, Particularly the sequence where the secret service, like they converge upon the phones and we think they're going to capture them. And then it turns out to be, no, they've, they've outthought you there. There's something else. Like that's a really cool moment in the film. It's like kind of a, uh, you know, like a clapping in the theater moment in the film, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, because it does kind of play that expectation up. I like again, kind of watching it now, 
I enjoyed the film kind of start to finish. I really kind of just, I like the way it's shot. I like the characters. I'm kind of on board with it. And I have such low expectations of it that like, I kind of let that be the thing, but you're right that it, it does really drop the ball in terms of kind of really trying to say something about this community and kind of like reflecting some, some yeah. of the realities. And we really haven't seen, I mean, we really haven't seen a good hacker movie and that's, you know, sneakers is about sneakers, as close as we get. Yeah. Sneakers, sneakers is a good one, which is made, I think, in '95 as well. I mean, that's made like the same that same era. If it's not '95, it's you know. 94. I thought it was a bit earlier than that, but yeah, it's still same era, really. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, and it's interesting that it's all kind of being made right at that point. Sorry, I'm googling it now. Oh, '92. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds that sounds more right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's that, a film. That's the film I saw in theaters. Actually, we should definitely yeah. cover sneakers. Oh yeah, we should do sneakers. Yeah, uh, and I mean, sneakers is is definitely far removed from hackers in certain ways yeah. because I mean, there you're not really dealing with computers in the same way or anything like that. Like that 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 sort of echoes more back to wiretapping and yeah, uh, water, yeah, yeah. Watergate and all that sort of thing. Right? I mean, sneakers, sneakers is closer to uh, the conversation essay. Yes. Uh, you know, exactly. yeah. reference point. Yeah. Good, good pull. Yeah. It, it is. It is kind of interesting that, you know, given 25 years of this, we still haven't seen like kind of a good portrait of this world on, on film. There's, there's not one like hackers is kind of the, the good one. And it's, Literally, just because like it's not absolutely terrible that we sort of well, and I think I think uh, the biggest reason is I don't think anyone in Hollywood has been convinced that there's a good way to make a film about that sequence I mentioned at the end of Hackers, where you see like different people across the world talking to each other with computers. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's managed to convince uh, a studio that we should make a film revolving around this. These characters who are not living in the same city together. They're actually talking over computers. And Well, I think about, I mean, you said that I think about the guild, which was a kind of Felicia day's project that kind of right. made her, that kind of brought her into focus. And that was totally a project that was about people talking online, essentially. Was you it, know? Yeah. So, so it can be done, but that was also kind of about, we're all kind of gamers and we just kind of do the thing that we do. Um, but it doesn't really get at the core of this sort of aesthetic. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking out loud. It would be interesting to see like what would, you know, a sort of a film about this sort of hacker subculture be, but I think it's also so underground in terms of they, like, the kind of people that get to yeah, make movies. They, you know? they, they, they always want to turn it into a political espionage thriller of some sort. Like, yeah. you know, like that film, uh, Eagle Eye, where it was, uh, a computer system following everybody yeah, or yeah, yeah. um was it enemy of the state with will smith yeah, yeah. and gene hackman yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, it becomes it becomes about like oh the government is keeping eyes on you because ultimately like that's the really terrifying thing and uh i'm not saying that's not terrifying but um it doesn't really start to talk about the subculture of people who are just curious and that's you you look at the people who were kind of realistically like they're teenagers and they start like exploring these you know kind of computer systems, they're curious about what's out there and mm -hmm. then they see like these artificial boundaries between themselves and knowledge and they just sort of break through that as a way of wanting to know, and this film captures that better than almost anything else on the yeah, cinema level. I mean 
but it still kind of elides that to a large degree. Yeah, hacker hacker nerd characters, for the most part, in all these films are marginalized as crazy people or just nerds. And, I mean, you either get, again, the Gene Hackman character in Enemy of the State, who's this character who's been on the run for years and and, and hiding and all that. Uh, And there's, you know, direct connections between that character and the character you played in the conversation. Yeah, it's basically basically the extension of the same character, right? You know. Yeah, or you get get Kevin Smith's character in the fourth Die Hard film. Live for your Die Hard? As as the nerd who's just living in his mother's basement, and he's like in his 30s, and he's still doing this shit, and he's just a lazy hacker hacker who's bored by shit. They just become those these like tech guys who give the real heroes the thing that they need to go off and like shoot people in the head. Like that's essentially yeah. what he, he gives know. a he gives a comedic sounding board for uh, Bruce Willis to God damn this fucking geek. I I just need to know where this thing is so I can go shoot it. Like this fuck off. Right. <laughs> when, when in reality, like a, a real uh, sort of online activist, to sort of uh, I mean Chelsea Manning. Mm. I mean, let's not. Chelsea Manning was someone who, like, in and the WikiLeaks. I mean, we obviously have our issues with WikiLeaks these days, you know, in terms of what it's become. But the idea of I've got information I'm going to share online to, uh, you know, reveal terrible things that are being done by yeah. you know elites is is a powerful idea, and yet it's almost as if the capitalist filmmaking system doesn't really want to glorify people yeah, who are sharing information. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, why I'd say it's, that. It's, it's I, a real, it's a real puzzler. It's, man. It's a real puzzler. I don't, I don't understand why they, they might have an issue with <laughs> like people online sharing information for free, like <laughs> torrent yeah. sites, you know, for instance, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I think pretty much I said all I need to say about this film. I I like yeah. it a lot. I like it more for different reasons than when I liked it when yeah. I first saw it. I just thought it was cool back when I saw it back in the day. But now thinking about it, there's a lot of different reasons that I like it now that I, yeah. I think come out. So um, I, I think it's definitely worth a, a relook, and I think it's a legitimate touchstone kind of classic for its era. You know, it's, it's a cult classic. It's definitely yeah. a cult classic, and. Uh, yeah, check it out. If you haven't, I mean, I can't, you know, four people listen to this and three of them have seen, have talked about hackers on our Facebook page. So, yeah, you know, everybody's seen hackers. But I, I, I sit here talking to you today as someone who has done the complete 180. I really like hackers. I really, you know, and I wish that it had, had the sort of courage to kind of do the real thing rather than, um, not in the last third. I, I, I w- the the last third when it becomes kind of generic, you know, kind of movie action sequence, and we're just gonna fill the screen with technical bullshit just to sort of amaze the audience. Uh, I mean, it works in context. The character bits work, and that's the mm-hmm. thing. I think that's the thing that makes the film work is that all the characters are believable, right? Yeah. You know? I also really like the mom. I really like uh, Zirkel's mom in this. Who. Yeah. And kind of googling and looking at people's Wikipedia pages, she died a couple of years ago. Oh, sad, sad thing. Always, you know. Really, my goal here, Lee, is to make this podcast where I get to tell you all the people who have died. You know, <laughs> in the movies that all the people that we like, but I really like her as a mom because you really think that she, she's just trying to raise her son. She knows that he's a genius. She knows that he's uh, got this talent, but also like. You know, 
Well, there's, <laughs> there's two there's two mom characters in this one. They're both supportive of, of their sons, even though they yeah. know their sons have done criminal things. Yeah, quote unquote criminal things. It's like, yeah, they're they're still supportive of their of their kids, you know. And yeah. I mean, and in the case of uh, Zero Cool Crash Override, his family broke apart because of you know being uh, caught doing this shit, you know, yeah. and it ruined kind of ruined the family structure. But she's she kept the son and and stuck with him, and uh, she's still supporting him throughout all this crap. Yeah. So. Well, and and she kind of comes around because like the whole thing is like she wants him to like apply to colleges and be respectable, but you know through the process of just kind of seeing him kind of become the young man that he is, she understands like no, my son is a genius. He he is doing the thing that he's going to do, and I kind of get the feeling she's on board with the uh, fuck the man aesthetic. You know, no, she she believes in them. There's that scene yeah. where they're in the uh, police station, and he turns on the little intercom and hears his mother like basically say, "No, oh, fuck you. My son's a good kid, and and he's doing the right thing. And you guys should not be coming down on him like this." And yeah. then there then there's like the other scene where Angelina Jolie shows up at the house for the first time, and she looks at her and goes like, "Well, I see what she I see what he sees in you." Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. yeah. Well, clearly, because you know, how can well, you no, not, she you know? she 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 likes the looks and she likes the attitude at the same time because yeah. she Angelina Jolie gives her attitude at the door, right? It's like you know, and, kind of and a, Angelina uh, Jolie's character's mom is like a best-selling like feminist author right. as well. Uh, you know? Um, there is a, like all these all these children all all these kids are children of of a great degree of privilege. That that's something yeah. that kind of runs through the film. One of my favorite little lines. And just rewatching it was the uh, the bit where uh, Lord Nikon, when he finds out that like, oh, you were zero cool back in the day, dude. I thought you were black. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's like a hero, and everybody, everybody, yeah. you know, if, especially in this case where it's like a faceless hero that anyone can identify with, and then they sort of. You know, they they kind of impose their own ideals of what this hero might have yeah, looked yeah. like and what he what he's about. You know, it's like it's kind of really cool that way. Yeah, budget for this was twenty million. Sadly, it was a box office uh, failure, seven point five million on the returns. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, that's um, rough even for ninety five. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I'll just go over the uh, DVD stuff for uh, both short short circuit one and two and this. If you're looking at short circuit, there's an image entertainment release from 2004 for DVD, and then there's a 2008 special edition. And Im- image entertainment came back with a multi format, which was Blu-ray and DVD in 2008. Part two had a Sony Pictures Home Entertainment release in 2001, as far as DVD goes, and then Im- image entertainment also had a 2010 DVD. And a 2011 multi-pack, uh, which again was Blu-ray and DVD. As far as Hackers goes, this one had an MGM 1998 DVD release. And it wasn't until Shout Factory came into the picture in 2015 where they released a DVD Blu-ray combo. So uh, those are your sort of best bets. Although I think all these are on Amazon video as well if you want to grab them up. So, Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, unless you have anything else, Daniel, we can move to the close here. I'm good. I'm sure there's more we could talk about, but I yeah. think we have we have covered this well enough. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, so... hopefully our fans enjoyed this conversation, which wasn't much about the film. 
No, yeah, I, I was on my end, but I, I think, uh, I think an interesting uh, conversation nonetheless. Oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't. I, I had plot synopses, and I didn't even get into them. I just kind of like overlooked them in the notes because I was so interested in the conversation. So there you go. The Fisher Stevens trilogy is done. That's it's done. Kinda, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Fisher Stevens, you racist bastard. We're done talking. Yeah, about yeah. You. Fisher Stevens, I blame you specifically for. <laughs> Your shitty portrayals of the the South Asian man, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, I am uh, on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper, and you can find all my stuff there. And I also now have a Patreon. I know oh. I have completely uh, sold out. I, uh, I actually, uh, I actually just uh, became a one dollar uh, Patreon. That's you know really you. really what what you're saying to me is uh, for you know. Four weeks maximum a month. Uh, I provide like an hour or two's worth of content for you, and you're just that's your payment to me. That's kind of where I well, I on that well, well, here's well, here's the thing. I just, I just felt kind of bad because I'm giving money to Kit and James and Jack, so it's like eh, I should probably throw you a bone as well. So yeah, no, <laughs> I get that. I get that. So, um, much appreciated. If you do want to. Uh, Support this podcast because Lee doesn't have a Patreon. But if you want to support this podcast and make it better, uh, go support me on Patreon. Basically, that's yeah. the that's the that's the thing. I'm looking for people who want to suggest things that they'd like to see from me. Uh, by the way, uh, my goal is to kind of just keep doing the thing I'm doing, but also like the whole thing with Patreon is like kick me in the ass and make me start writing. That's that's right. kind of the the goal of it. But there's not really a lot of content on my Patreon yet. There's not any content on the patreon yet although <laughs> my plan is by the time you listen to this there will be a little bit of content there but yeah so if you like what i'm doing here go give me a buck a month I, i'd appreciate it because i could i could use the the kick in the ass on that so cheers there you go yeah. Yeah, and uh, for us, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and of course our Facebook group. Yet again, best way to get in touch with us, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Till then, I don't know what we're doing next time. I'm kind of hoping it's going to be Enemy Mine, but we'll have to see where Kit Power is. If it's not Enemy Mine, I think the other one was... uh... I mean, what's the other option at this point? Like, what were uh, maybe Repo Man? I'd be down for Repo Man. Uh, so, I, actually, before we started this, I I went through my collection to find eighty sci fi films. So I've got them all sitting here right now. <laughs> hold, on, hold, on, hold on, I know you're wrapping up. Like, show me these titles. I'm going to read these titles off because okay. Lee just picked up a giant like stack of uh, movies. So, okay, that's Repo Man. There's Repo Man. Yeah, yeah. The Quiet Earth. The Quiet Earth. Yep, yep. Killer Clowns, which, yep. uh, you know, I was thinking we should probably cover that. I saw that one time as a kid, and I have not seen it since. And I didn't get it at all when I saw it at, like, nine years old or whatever. So, right. um, but I'm I'm down for Galaxy of Terror. Which would be our rapiest oh, episode ever. <laughs> that's, that's Roger Corman? Is yep. that what I'm getting from this? That's okay. the Roger Corman, you yep. know? Yeah, well, we've got a couple of Roger Corman movies coming up on our, uh, you know, when we, uh, after we finish the sci-fi series, yeah. like, uh, you know, teaser, we've got some Roger Corman stuff coming up. Dead Space, and you got to move that, The Terror Within. Yeah, no, more Roger Corman's. Oh, more Roger, Roger Corman, Corman produced shit, yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
or Roger Corman. Forbidden World. Yeah. Sure. And finally, and this one, I mean, since we're doing 80s and kind of bleeding into the 90s, technically this is a 1979 movie, but... Star Crash. Yeah. Which uh, we, you know, we, we, we've talked about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally cover that as a, as a full episode. So yeah, no, uh, we, we've got some, we've got some titles. I think we're trying to plan on wrapping up this series fairly soon. Um, maybe, although, maybe not. Although we'll come back to it. I, I think, <laughs> I think what I'd like to do is to wrap up the series fairly soon, kind of do some of the other stuff we want to do and then maybe yeah. come back to it because 80s and 90s sci-fi is something you know, I can do. Like these are, this is my wheelhouse. I could do this in my sleep. Like, you know, <laughs> these are easy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, thank you everyone for listening and, uh, we'll be back when we're back. Uh, should be able to, we should be doing another episode next week. Cause I got the whole yeah. fucking weekend off next week. So yeah, one, one, one movie, almost mm-hmm. certainly, you know, we'll just do, we'll just do either repo man or enemy mine. Yeah. And, most like a Repo Man because it's almost impossible to get Kit Power to uh, <laughs> set a date within like six days. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah but uh, until then, thank you guys and we'll see you later. Bye bye. Cheers.